Recording and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron and Abe is unfortunately not here today. Uh, Out Now is a film podcast though, where Abe and I normally discuss new movies weekly. We dig into movies to be most appropriate for your review. The occasional commentary track or some other film movie topic. This is episode 499, 499. And yeah, we are one away from our 500th episode. And Abe and I have <laughs> plans. But for 499 for this week's episode, we are talking Elvis, the latest biopic of. Elvis Presley, directed by Baz Luhrmann. And joining me to discuss Elvis, we have film editor for the AV Club and writer for such sites as uh, Variety and such trades as Pangoria. Uh, for this podcast, it was only appropriate that he wore his blue shade suede shoes. It's Todd Grillchrist. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. For sure. Also joining us from Why So Blue, he likes to have fun in Acapulco. It's Peter Clambake Paris. I knew you were going to use clam bake in some way. <laughs> uh, hey, everybody. How's it going? Well, good. Uh, I, I'm glad to have you both here. How are you, how are you doing this today? I'm good. I'm good. Um, just, uh, you know, basking in the um, the success. Uh, you know, it's, it's remarkable how much, uh, you know, people seem to be going to the movies now, which is, uh, you know, a net positive, of course, for the industry or whatever. But it, uh, I, I was starting to worry that nobody cared about movies anymore. And the fact that people are going um, at long last, um, even if all the movies aren't totally amazing, uh, it, to me, is a very good thing. Well, you're, you're exactly right in saying that, because, yes, uh, we do have some stuff to get to in the show notes here, including the box office, which has proven to be. Uh, quite a profitable area uh, this week, uh, much like last week. Last week was interesting. I, I noted that it was the first time th- three movies had made over $40 million each since 2013, which is like an insane stat. Uh, this week, I believe the top four movies all made at least over $20 million, and that's the first time that's happened since 2018. Uh, so it's like, you know, when there's movies out in theaters, it seems like people like going to the theaters to see the movies. So imagine that. Um, but that is going to lead us right into our talk of, of, of our summer movie gamble, Summer Gamble X, our 10th uh, Summer Gamble. Um, Peter, you are involved in this, of course. Uh, you, are, you are in the running. A former champion, by the way. You won once with the Summer Gamble. <laughs> yeah, a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah when you got lucky. Uh, ever since then, terrible. Uh, I'm yeah, kidding. Exactly. Uh, but um, so this does lead us kind of into our conversation of the week because we have, of course, Elvis debuting this week. Um, it made $30.5 million. Um, I would say it's number one, but we're not quite sure yet because Top Gun Maverick, wouldn't you know it, also made $30.5 million at the box office. Uh, so we have Crazy. to wait We have to wait till tomorrow to get like the exact figure to see which studio can whip it out and put it on the table, basically. <laughs> but until then, uh, both of these films are basically tied for number one. Uh, regardless, still impressive, both for Top Gun, which is already made, it's now made a billion dollars to worldwide total, um, which which is Tom Cruise's, of course, it's Tom Cruise's biggest. It's his first number, his first billion dollar film. And quite fast for a movie like Top Gun. And then Elvis, a movie that's, you know, an adult skewing uh, biopic, uh, you know, not a superhero film, not a sci-fi fantasy adventure type thing. Making 30.5 million, not bad. Not bad for a movie like Elvis. Uh, two, over two and a half hours, like that's, you know, that that says something. Uh, Jurassic World still no slouch. Another twenty six million added to its uh, box office. 
Um, Lightyear took kind of a dive this weekend at number uh, coming in at number five. Uh, at seventeen million dollars. Um, it still make it's you know it's making money, but certainly not the Pixar standard. But uh, more interestingly, right ahead of Lightyear, the Black Phone at number four with twenty three million. For an R-rated horror movie, horror, you know, can be successful, of course, but horror is also cheap, so it tends to be cheap at least, and so that's always a factor. But still, $23 billion, uh, for a movie like The Black Phone, impressive, impressive numbers. So once again, movies in theaters, people want to see movies. <laughs> not, a, not a bad place to, uh, not a bad way to look at it as far as uh, the potential there for uh, things to get back on track in various ways, uh, regardless of whatever else is going on in the world. Um, so yeah. Um, what that means for us in the summer gamble? Well, <laughs> it leaves a lot of options open as far as what's uh, what's competing for some of these slots in the top ten movies of the summer. All right, so enough of that. Um, what else? I mentioned the five versus episode. That's that's next week, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, we got some fun plans uh, in store for how to handle that. Uh, what else? New commentary track uh, for the month. This month we talked ET, the extraterrestrial. Uh, which was a lot of fun. We had a lot of good stuff to say about ET, of course, but it was a lot of mixture of uh, facts and fun tangents and what have you. That's available on iTunes, where you can find our show and all the other episodes of our show. Uh, and you could even uh, give us a rating interview, which would be wonderful. It pops up in the old iTunes charts. Okay. I'm glad you finally got the chance to see ET for the first time. That's, <laughs> that's uh, you know, it's great. I mean, it only took uh, 40 years, but, you know, I mean, you finally got there. Congratulations. It was, it was a bold move to have like four other people on a Zoom call and watch it on mute, but I feel like I got the same idea across as far as what it's going for. It seems like, uh, you know, sure. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was like, you know, this weird, like little box monster invaded Earth probably killed a bunch of people and then this boy was like yeah i guess we're friends now i think that's what the plot was i was kind of paying attention but uh it's pretty good i, I hear the score is nice i wouldn't know it was on mute because we're doing commentary uh, but, um, yeah et uh decent movie uh okay so <laughs> let's move on from some show notes let's get to some uh, out now quickies tm each week and out now we have we we played about doing the week that's why we're doing quickies yeah okay todd let's start with you what other movies have you seen recently well, uh, I saw the black phone, um, uh, and I did not like it. Um, oh, okay. and I apparently am the only one. Um, although I seem to recall when I saw it, um, at CinemaCon, not being the only one who didn't like it, but, um, the praise for that movie has been so, uh, rhapsodic that I am kind of convinced that either I saw a different movie or, or, uh, or, or something. Um, but I saw that, and then I actually saw uh, well, Minions real, 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 real quick, before before we get to Minions 2, which I know all of the listeners are very curious about. I, I'm curious what you yes. didn't like about uh, Black Phone. I know Peter and I, we're both fans of the Black Phone. What'd you, what'd you, what, what didn't work for you for Black Phone? Um, I think, you know, I think that it has the same, you know, to some extent, it has the same sort of, like, sub subtextual problem that even like nightmare on elm street has although i really liked the original nightmare on elm street which is that like they don't really want to commit to the idea that he's doing something to these children other than killing them um you know uh be, which to me is a problem more explicitly in this movie because um the whole movie is about how he has captured this child and he's just messing with him for like an indefinite amount of time and i'm like what is he keeping him around for if he's quote unquote just a child killer why doesn't he just kill the child uh for example um but but also i just think that like it doesn't fully doesn't the movie give you that doesn't the movie set you up to think that like there's 
there's a game he's playing with these kids it's not just to like just to just to just to do it like you know eating a meal but like he's having a not quite cat and mouse but certainly he's playing a he's playing a game of sorts with them i mean yeah but i also don't know what the point of that it's like again i it's sort of one of these things where if the given the fact that the whole notion is that these other children who have been killed um are he just this is just a series uh, you know i mean he is literally a serial killer um you know it's like what what is the i don't understand the point of this and they don't make that particularly clear um i think i also think that um you know it doesn't bring together the two separate things that are that that this movie's about which is this serial killer plot and then also the idea that there are these ghosts that are helping this kid when in fact um the the particularly it happening with uh, her his sister having these this shining like ability um it actually never affects the plot in any way like you get to the end of the movie not to spoil anything and it's not like she's bursts in and rescues him. She just literally is around when everything gets resolved. Um, I think there's also some filmmaking problems. I think there's like a big focus on a window in the movie. I, again, I'm to, to try to be respectful of people who have not yet seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a the window in the movie is a, a big uh, plot point in terms of him trying to get access to exit this space. And he makes some headway and then the movie sort of like conveniently never, not only does it never mention that or the repercussions of that, but also it doesn't even show it on screen again, which to me tells me that the filmmakers were trying, did not have a satisfactory resolution to that. And so therefore they were trying to ignore it on screen. I can agree that there's Um, a cheat there. Like as far as someone would notice this at one point, it's like, I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, again, I uh, like, I mean, it's not that I think that it's without any merits. I didn't think it was very scary, uh, personally, but um, but I just, it was, I didn't warm to it. And I was kind of like, as I talked to people about it after I saw it, I was like, they, they were pointing out things that they didn't like that I didn't necessarily even notice. And then um, it was a situation where, and, and I suspect that you you guys may have had a similar experience, which is that you like watch something and you feel a certain way about it. And then you sort of discover that nobody else feels the same way. And you're like, am I taking crazy pills? Did I see the same film? And again, you know, the lead up to the release of the movie has been so unambiguously positive um, or it feels like it has been that I was like beginning to wonder, I'm like, maybe I saw a different cut than the people who saw it at Fantastic Fest or the people who saw it more recently or whatever it is. So it's been uh, a little bit, um, a little bit surprising for me. Right. Peter, do you have any counter to that? I know you're a fan of the black phone. <laughs> I did. I liked, I liked the black phone and actually um, it's funny, Todd, I read your review right after I saw like right after getting home from seeing it. Um, Cause I remember that you didn't like it. Um, and yeah. I knew that pretty much, I know Aaron and everyone else really was liking it. So I got home and I was like, huh, I was like, Aaron or Todd didn't like this. I think it was like a C minus. I was like, which is pretty low. Um, And I read your review and I thought, I thought, yeah, I mean, I thought you, you pretty much like, um, you, you know, you, you said what did, what didn't, didn't work for you uh, in the movie, which I was like, okay, well, yeah, he did make his, his point. Um, And I, yeah. And I think I, (laughs) I do agree with you about the, um, the window 
frame cage thing scene mm-hmm. i i agree it is a, a thing that is like it's a big scene and then it sort of doesn't yeah it's kind of weird i agree um my feeling was more um that i thought sinister and also the exorcism of emily rose which uh aaron had to remind me i forgot that he wait he did that one right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i forgot that he and i thought those two films were both scarier than the black phone so the notion of like how scary it is i thought those two films were scary especially uh particularly the the eight millimeter movie stuff in uh, sinister um, sure I, I movie i only saw once and to this day when i think about that stuff i was like wow it was really really got under my skin i think what i liked about black phone and by the way i didn't like i mean i don't i think aaron and i were both we, we didn't think it was like a 10 or anything but i sure i just thought it was pretty well you know that window scene not um you know regardless of that window scene i guess i thought it was a pretty well balanced like story and performances and like you know you, you really get to know the the place the kid is um the, the the weird basement where the kid's trapped you get to know the geography pretty well and i always appreciate that so i guess i guess i thought it, it felt like it was a better made movie experience than his other two previous horror films but i do think those horror films were scarier for what it's worth, I guess. Sure. I don't want to add too much on the black one because Abe and I plan to record a, a bonus episode talking about it later on. Um, but I'll just say, yeah, I, I did enjoy the movie. But uh, I, and more so, I just really want to get to Todd's opinions on Minions to the Rise of Gru. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you've been waiting for this. I've been really thinking about it a lot. Um, uh-huh. You know, Minions 2 is pretty good, actually. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's good for what it is. I, you know, I, um, I, I'll tell you my experience honestly is that, um, basically that, uh, that, uh, my wife and her best friend, um, love the minions and they think they're hilarious. Mm -hmm. And, and so I went and saw it, uh, during the day last week and she was not able to go with me. And I was sitting in there thinking about the fact that my wife and her friend are going to be probably smoking weed and and watching this movie and laughing their ass off because it's like the minions run around and they you know scream gibberish and they show their butts a lot and um and the fact that i was thinking about them laughing at it made me laugh as i was watching it okay Um, i think that you know i i think that you know there's the, the 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 challenge that i think the filmmakers have is that is that people don't really care about the human characters in these movies. They just want to watch the minions do stuff, but I don't think you could do a, if it's a Looney Tunes or it's a Marx brothers, or it's a, you know, whatever it is that uh, three stooges that these characters do, like, I don't think that could sustain a movie by itself. So you kind of have to have like a plot or you have to have these quote unquote human characters as a counterpoint, but nobody really gives a crap about those characters. So even grew, you're like, yeah, I, maybe I cared about him at one point, but now all I care about is like watching these characters do like dumb stuff and they do dumb stuff. And, you know, I mean, it's, it, it wasn't something that I thought was like a, a transcendent. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's certainly no black phone, but, um, but it's, <laughs> but you know, I thought it was, I mean, I thought it was cute. It's funny. Um, you know, they decide they're going to, you know, rip through a, 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 a sort of panorama of 1970s references to disco and other things, which is, you know, 
you know, if you like to hear St. Vincent do a cover of Funky Town, then, you know, this is the movie for you. But um, you've just convinced Peter to see this movie now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's fine. It was fine. I will say, I do think uh, I haven't seen Minions and um, my girlfriend, uh, she loves animation and she hates like the Minions. Um, I'm not a huge Minions fan. I'm like, I'm not That's at okay. all. <laughs> but I will say, you know, one thing I thought was interesting was um, I saw Black Phone. Uh, I saw it in, I, you know, I saw it at the, the AMC and, you know, all the trailers before Black Phone were like, horror, you know, nope smile yeah. you know the invitation there are horror movies and then you get, <laughs> you get to this thing um because it's because they're both universal you get to this thing where steve carell is almost sort of doing the nicole kidman amc thing where he's basically in the theater talking about being back at the movies and then and i was like oh i guess steve carell's doing one of these things and then the you know the shot uh widens and you see he has a minion on each side and then they're like doing their 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 shtick and then of course it says you know rise of Gru. And i was like well this is so weird i was like this is so weird to put before black phone that, that uh, sounds like a horror movie to me steve carell yeah, trapped in his theater with I was like, all right like, <laughs> they've taken over my mind <laughs> yeah yeah it's um i haven't actually seen that but but yeah i mean i think that whatever it is i mean clearly uh to to go back to uh, top gun being you know sort of a potential box office champ for the weekend um, you know, Tom Cruise's insistence on holding that movie paid off uh, for the studio and for the movie and everything. Um, but I think also, like, I mean, I went to see that movie after I had seen it in a press screening. I saw it at um, the TCL on in IMAX, and there was the Tom Cruise greeting ahead of the movie. And I wonder, you know, I mean, which which now there's always like a greeting where they're like, oh, I'm Chris Pratt. And here's the new trailer for Jurassic World. You know, I mean, they do that yeah. ahead of all these things now. And I think that like they're trying to. I don't know if it qualifies as personalizing it, but doing this, this sort of um, getting these people to come out and actively shill for their for the movies that they're making. And it's a it's an interesting phenomenon that's worth probably digging into more than we probably will have time to do so today. But um but yeah, the, but to put that in front of the black phone in particular seems kind of discordant. I, I hear you. <laughs> well, Peter, how about you? What have you seen recently? Uh, besides uh, black phone, I was um, I was out of town the week before visiting family, and I stayed with uh, one of my oldest friends, and uh, he finally got me into uh, the Showtime show Billions. Um, okay. And I like I like Paul Giamatti, and I like. Um, Damian Lewis, but it's sort of like Succession. I was kind of like, eh, I really need to see a show about these super rich people getting away with everything. I ended up liking Succession a real lot, which I I, I don't know about Todd, but I think uh, I, I, I love think Aaron does. Um, and I, you know what? I think Billions. Um, I'm not. It sounds like an insult to say, especially because it's a, you know, it's a show about money. But it sort of feels like the poor man succession. It's not it doesn't quite have the budget of succession and all that. And it doesn't have that HBO thing. It's, you know, showtime. Um, but I will say, I I mean, I burned through the first season. Uh, so, you know, the performers are, are working for me. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite enjoying it. You know, I think it's like six seasons. So, it, uh, you know, I think it's 2016 or 2017. Yeah. That, like, it goes back to. But uh, yeah, yeah, enjoyable cast and 
Uh, Maggie Schiff, I think her name's Maggie Schiff, who was in the first season of Mad Men. I've always liked her. Um, and she's terrific. So, uh, and Melina Ackerman. Uh, yeah. So I guess I feel like that's the most recent kind of new for me thing. Sure. I've gotten to. It's the kind of thing where like, when you're like, why is William H. Macy gone? It's like, oh, because he's been doing Shameless for like 17 years. It's like, oh, okay, right. we don't get him in movies <laughs> yeah, anymore. Right. Like Paul Giamatti's not been around as much. It's like, why? Oh, yeah, because he has a Showtime show he's been doing for six years. Showtime's like weirdly like the CBS of premium cable stations where they just have these shows that go on forever. And then I'm glad that the actors are working, but it's like, we're getting a lot. We're losing a lot of our like good character actors for these shows. But it's like, fine, I guess they're lead. So good for them, I guess. Uh, well, I heard, I've point, heard, uh, you know, I've Showtime heard. and... I was going to say Showtime and CBS are part are, are sibling networks. So oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it's funny because I have friends who really like um, their isn't Showtime man who fell to earth. Yes. I mean, those are two really good. I mean, that's uh, yeah. We're going to lose Chua Telegio for for years. He could yeah, be Naomi in, Harris. He, like we're, um, we're not going to get him having five minute cameos in Marvel movies anymore. Cause it's going right. to be like a TV show. <laughs> exactly. My thing with Showtime is I tend to think that they usually, start strong you know like home like and then there's dexter. shows that i dexter is the key example there <laughs> yeah dexter for sure but even like homeland i lost interest after a while like shows that started pretty strong i was like oh this is pretty good and then i just didn't keep going you know so i don't know if i'll finish billions but right now i'm 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 in it when it's good so all right um well i have a few things to note real quick here before we get to our main review first is the man from toronto uh, this is on Netflix. It has Kevin Hart and Woody Harrelson subbing in for Jason Statham. Um, it is a tale of of uh, swapped identities where Kevin Hart is mistaken to be the assassin known as the man from Toronto, who's actually Woody Harrelson. Um, things get crazy and the FBI catches Kevin Hart and realizing that he's not who they're looking for. Naturally, they're like, well, you have to pretend to be an assassin now in order to get us the thing. We this movie's terrible. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a really god-awful movie. Uh, it got sold to Netflix from Sony. I can see why. Uh, it, curiously, it feels like the second they made that decision, they just like stopped working on it because there's a lot of like bad slash unfinished special effects. Kevin Hart and Woody Harrelson never really clicked together. Mm. Uh, which is a shame because they, I think both separately and, and certainly with other people, they've proven to be, you know, strong comedic performers. So it's like, well, if you can't get the, that main thing, right. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what else you have going for you. It's certainly not the action. It's from uh, what's his name? Director Patrick. Uh, he did Expendables three uh, Patrick uh, Hughes. And yeah, I think um, that's right. Yeah. And there's not much here in that regard, as far as, you know, like there's clarity, I suppose. I do think he can manage an action scene, but it's just like this feels pretty throwaway in that regard, too. It's just kind of a mess of a movie that's not <laughs> good, and it'll probably stream and get a sequel because it's on Netflix. Um, so whatever. <laughs> but um, on the plus side of action movies, I saw The Princess with um, Joey King. Uh, I was curious about this one because it's directed by Lee, Lee Van Kiet, um, a Vietnamese filmmaker who made films like Fury. Um, it's like you know it's a princess story except what if like she was highly trained in like martial arts and sword play and stuff and it's quite effective uh, largely because and i didn't know this it's basically medieval diehard like she is in a tower the entire movie trying to like rescue her father the king and the queen and her sister from like an evil uh person that's trying to usurp the throne but it's like set in this tower the whole time and so it's like they's like 
okay, so they made Die Hard in, in a medieval times tower. That's that's neat. That's some I have not seen that before. But also the action's just much, especially compared to the last movie. The action's just much better. There's a lot of, regardless of you know people being you know some trick camera stuff, stunt people being in and out. There's a lot of just like good work to use a fairly confined space to create dynamic action scenes with swords and you know knights and what have you. So uh, it's well, it's, you know, it's funny. Uh-huh. It's funny. I was actually going to ask um, if you had seen it because I got a link for. The, I haven't finished it, but it's way more violent than I thought it was going to be. Oh, yeah, it's a super R-rated movie for the violence specifically, and I think it. Yeah, it's pretty brutal as far yeah. as what it's doing. So. <laughs> I guess I was expecting this. That stars audience. I was like, oh, this is going to be like a goofy. Even though it, I think it's actually a Fox film, but I was it's like, a, yeah, oh, it's a Fox, so it's coming to Hulu, direct to Hulu. But yeah, right. I, but I was that opening shot, that opening moment where I, I think she like put something in a guy's eye yeah, <laughs> i was it, like whoa it sets like, you up right this? away like yeah. uh so i yeah i have not finished it yet but i'm i'm just way more entertained than i thought i would be yeah it's going for a certain kind of thing for sure and uh i i, I thought it was quite good um uh, also quite good beavis and butthead do the universe uh they've returned <laughs> and, they, and they've done the universe now um I have never actually watched the show Beavis and Butthead, but I sir, but I was I'm a big fan of Beavis and Butthead Do America, and the fact that Mike Judge came back and just did this, um, it's just still funny to me. Like I like as, as far as my point of reference for Beavis and Butthead, it's these two movies, and they're both highly entertaining. Like, and they're I don't think it's easy to write stupidity in the way that Mike Judge does and I think he's proven that a couple of times in his various films and even Silicon Valley um, which feels of very smart people that happen to do a lot of dumb things this falls right into that area as far as there's a lot of dumb here but it's I think constructed in a way that's just very funny and doesn't make you feel like bad about laughing at it I think it's just good at doing the thing that it's doing so uh, certainly worthwhile yeah that's what I've heard I've heard that it you know I mean the 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 reactions that I had heard from people was that were that it was very much, um, you know, it's just dumb jokes, uh, you know, and the idea of having just dumb jokes, it's not trying to create a bunch of, you know, superfluous subplots and things mm-hmm. like that. And it's just that, you know, which, which is funny to, to say that, you know, I feel like now there is a sense of obligation to create a com- either a complexity or a revisionist look at something, particularly when, you know, there's been years and years and years since there was something that was really new and a longer form. Um, but the, uh, but that, that actually excited me the most, the idea of just going, you know, I, I'm happy to have like just more kind of like lowbrow, you know, fun, dumb stuff. I just haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Yeah. It's a, it's a lean 80 something minutes on Paramount plus, uh it like in terms of like it it does take on like a because it's like it transports them to now there's some fun like characters that interact with them that try to reflect like how things have changed but even then it's still you know it's not super deep it's just more of this is funny (laughs) like that's the that's the entire point so Mm -hmm. like i was quite impressed by by like I did not expect Mike Judge to deliver, especially with these characters. But still, it it just it made me laugh a lot. So I mean, that's what it was going for, and it succeeded. Uh, last movie I'll talk about real quick called Mister Malcolm's List. Um, this is based off a novel. Seems very Jane Austen inspired, but not specifically Jane Austen. Um, it's set in like Victorian era times, period like costume romance drama or comedy. Um, involves these two best friends. One of them is like a popular woman, and she's dating this guy, Mister Malcolm he dumps her based on the fact that he has a list that she didn't meet up the qualities to 
Um, and since she was embarrassed by this uh, being dumped publicly, uh, she enlists her best friend, played by Frida Pinto, to basically court this man so they have him court her. And the idea is that she'll present him a list uh, that he doesn't meet up to and then she'll dump him to get back at him. Uh, but wouldn't you know it, these two crazy kids actually end up falling in love and it creates complications for this plan. Uh, this movie's rather nice. I um, I, I just, I, watching it, I was like, there, there's just a lot like here where I'm enjoying the the, the look of this thing, the interactions with these characters. Uh, I just, I, I thought it was just a really well-told story. And I also like... I appreciate that it's 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 made as like a colorblind casted movie where there's all a variety of different ethnicities, races, and what have you, um, all featured in these various parts, and it's not a thing that's commented on. Similar to the um, the uh, Inucci um, uh, David Copperfield movie from a few years ago that I also really liked. Um, so no, this is as far as something that's like different than the other summer fair that we're getting. Mr. Malcolm's List, I quite enjoyed this. All right, that's Can enough. I ask? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so sorry, frog in my throat there. Um, I, I totally forgot. I did want to ask you, Aaron and Todd, if you've seen this. I also put on last night. I think it's uh, is it Cha Cha Real Smooth? Yes. That, yeah. I thought it was okay. I you know last year I really loved Shiva Baby, which was also about a Jewish kind of like sort of modern Jewish family kind of setting. And it's funny watching Cha Cha Smooth. I noticed it's written and directed and starring um, Cooper Rafe, an actor. I, what do you know what his name is? Cooper Rafe. And he kind of bugged me the same way you and I argued about uh, what was the actor? It's another guy. Uh, it's the one. Uh, oh, he's in he's in Halloween Kills, but he he did he's done his own movies about the Wolf or whatever. Oh um, yeah, Wolf is no hollow. Um, uh, J- J- Jim uh, Jim. Jim, is it Cummings? Yeah, Jim Cummings. There we go. Okay. I mean, that he's an actor who's playing, he tends to play people that are actually sort of like not likable consciously. But in this one, I was like, well, I feel like this is this guy's movie. And I think we're supposed to like root for him. But for some reason, I find I found him more like grating than I did like, you know, aw shucks lovable. Um, but I was just wondering if you guys had seen it. And so besides, I mean, I like Dakota Johnson and you know, the cast like um, Odea Rush isn't like other stuff I like about it, but I was like, oh, I don't really like this guy like as much as I think I'm supposed to. But I don't know. I was just curious if you guys saw it. Uh, well, I like the movie uh, and I liked his previous movie, Shithouse, quite a bit as well. Um, his debut, this is his follow up. Um, I. I mean, I guess, I guess I just like it more than you. And part of it's because I do think Cooper Rafe is quite good. I think I think there's he has a quality that I think helps as far as these indie kind of Sundance films go, where it feels like he he's kind of cutting out the. He has a he, there's like an approach there, I think, that makes it stand out in a way that gets rid of some of the cliche stuff that I typically see in these kinds of movies that makes it more, more worthwhile to me. I'm not I saying, I'm not saying Chandra's yeah. movie is like amazing, I but I do, I've seen it. I saw it back in January. I saw it again recently. And I just be, I think he, he has really great chemistry with his, with his castmates, which I think is a big bonus as well. I think the way he gets along with other people is an addition. I also think his characters fuck up. So it's like, I can understand if you don't like the guy, but I think there's a, purposeful like he's not a great guy to begin with kind of thing that he knows how to play into Mm. i can see that i was just curious if you guys had seen it all right cool 
Uh, did, you not I did not see it. Mm-hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, I forgot. As soon as you told me that, it reminded me that I had seen, I watched 3,000 Years of Longing, which I did actually agree, which I did really like. But, um, Good to know. but I did not, but, uh, but I did not watch uh, Cha Cha Real Smooth. I've, I've, it was one of these things where I saw the trailer and I was like, oh, I think I want to see this. And then like the reactions have been, you know, suffice it to say, very mixed. And I'm like, this is making me cautiously optimistic without necessarily it actively encouraging me to to watch it fair so, enough yeah okay well that's enough with these all right so let's get to our main review now let's talk about elvis are you ready to fly i'm ready ready to fly tomorrow all of america will be talking about elvis Presley. i can't move i can't sing some people want to put me in jail. The well's moving. They might put me in jail for walking across the street, but you're a famous white boy. The way he sings is God given, so there can't be nothing wrong with it. Martin Luther King has been shot to death in Memphis. That's all right for you. Tragedy, but it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with us. Reverend once told me when things are too dangerous to say, sing. I'm gonna be fortitude, and nobody's gonna remember me. I need to get back to who I really am. I just gotta be making the most of this thing while I can. This could all be over in a flash. We are the same, you and I. We are two odd, lonely children reaching for eternity. The greatest show on earth. Elvis has left the building. That should have been some of the trailer for Elvis. Well, there have already been a few adaptations of the life of Elvis Aaron Presley, from John Carpenter's Elvis with Kurt Russell to obviously the more obscure and totally amazing film, The Identical. Uh, Baz Luhrmann decided that he too needed to tell the story of the king of rock and roll. From his perspective, the choice was made to put out a lot more focus on Colonel Tom Parker and the relationship this former Carnival Barker had with Presley and his demanding manager. As a result, here's a film that treats excess like a necessary accessory, while the film tells the life story of a major music star so with all of that in mind so todd are you a baz lerman fan in general and what do you think of this film um i guess strictly speaking i would say no uh in terms of being a baz lerman fan i i it's he's one of these people that i i i do try to take individually with his films mm-hmm. because you know I, I remember liking romeo and juliet i i uh moulin rouge was a movie that i spent a lot of time with and around when it came out because I was working at movie theaters and they were showing it at midnight and all this other stuff. Um, and I liked it. And yet uh, there were times when I'd watch it and I'd be like, God, this is just too much. And then other times I'd watch it and I really enjoyed it. Um, 
but I thought, but I mean, Australia's terrible. Um, <laughs> and um, I really, really didn't like uh, the great Gatsby. Um, and, um, and so I was, you know, sort of like going into this with a, you know, I would say a degree of dread and also sort of a curiosity if his, um, you know, excessive style, his maximalist style was one that might actually suit the needs of this story well. And I would say that categorically it, it did not. Um, and I, I really didn't like the movie. Okay. Well, I know where this is going to be. Podcast over. Um, <laughs> I just, I, I, I know I wanted to, to get you guys' thoughts and I figured we could talk more specifically. Yeah, for sure. That, that's, that, that's what we can go for. So let's get to Peter. Same question. Uh, you with um, Blurman and then this movie. Uh, and it's funny. I, I feel like I am, I feel like I'm, it's funny. Uh, well, I'll just cut to the chase. I liked Elvis, but as, as far as Baz Luhrmann, it's weird. I'm sort of, I'm sort of on the same side as Todd, except for different films. Um, I really did not care for Moulin Rouge. I, I saw it. I had just moved to LA. I got a job uh, working and in the Fox like legal department and they had a screening for it. And I was very excited because I was like, almost like, oh, I like Strictly Ballroom. I was like, that was pretty good. And I just, yeah. I really didn't like Moulin Rouge. And then it became this phenomenon. And then years later, maybe like a decade later, I got like the Blu-ray and I was like, all right, I'll, I'll give this movie another chance, you know? And I said, <laughs> I still really don't like it. I was like, nope, I, I was like, I don't like this, you know? However, um, I really love uh, Great Gatsby. I think it's, I just rewatched it recently and I just, yeah, I love, I don't want to, this is a review of Great Gatsby, but like, so it's interesting because I sort of have a up down thing and I also did not like Australia, but I, I also, I feel like, so I sort of see where you're coming from, but for whatever reason, the stuff that hits for me with him is the opposite of what it is for you. And I did, I really liked Elvis. Uh, and then, you know, we can get into specifics. So, but that's kind of where I am with, uh, with uh, Baz Luhrmann. Um, it's weird. Like, do we, would like vulgar auteur apply to Baz Luhrmann? Is that like an appropriate phrase to use there? Uh, I mean, notwithstanding the fact that I hate that term. Yes, probably. Um, I, I, I don't mean, like, use that term enough. I don't. So it's like, I, I'm just curious. It's like, how do you describe this man? Like, it's such an excessive style. I'm sorry to tell you off. What, what were you going to say? No, no. I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, I think that that qualifies. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I think the difference is, uh, I mean, I, the th I think the thing about the, the sort of vulgar auteurs uh, phenomenon, such as it is, is that you're talking about theoretically Paul W.S. Anderson or, you know, somebody like that who is trafficking largely in genre um okay each time and so they have a very specific way that they're bringing their creativity um which which is essentially what auteur theory is anyway but um but i, I would so i would say that um yes and no uh, i guess because because lerman only does what he wants and his movies are not beholden or really adhering to traditional genre filmmaking so i would say while he definitely qualifies in the same way that say a michael bay does um 
I think that because his movies are more unique in their um, subject matter, um, then I think that it kind of like makes that only sort of a half uh, qualification as a vulgar. I guess it comes down to my understanding of the term to begin with. I didn't necessarily think it was associated with genre. I thought it was more of like a a certain kind of excess when it comes to filmmaking. Um, But if if it is, I mean, I get it. I mean, Paul W. Sanderson, for example, does make a lot of sense um, regardless of how much I like uh, my second favorite Anderson. I'm kidding. Um, he's the first. Um, but as far as um, <laughs> as far as Larman goes, I um, I like I I guess I lean on the side of I. Well, not necessarily like excited when he has a new movie come out. It's certainly like I'm always curious when he has a new movie coming out because it's like there's nothing like him specifically. He does a very specific kind of thing, and I appreciate having that level of uh, screen authority in the same way, honestly, that like a Tim Burton would have, where it's like, there's nothing else that's going to look like this. So like that, that gets me excited to be like, well, that deserves a cinematic, uh, you know, venture. Uh, so him doing Elvis, like you stated, Todd, makes a whole lot of sense where it's like, yeah, yeah. sure. Why, why, why wouldn't Baz Luhrmann be the person you get to do a movie of this, you know, nature with all the costumes and the kind of glitz and glamour of his lifestyle, let alone what, the Colonel Tom Parker element brings to it and what have you. So with all of that said, I, I too, I liked this movie. I can't say I loved this movie, but I did like it. I do think the things I was looking for um, from a Baz Luhrmann directed Elvis movie, I feel like the movie matched it to me. Um, we can, I guess we can just get into it. Like um, on like the plus side of it, like there is a, certainly in the first half, there's a lot of that depiction of excess to, for me gave me the kind of like okay yeah elvis is in this kind of certain kind of crime there is a fun to be found there that's being delivered on in a visual a visual sense and an auditory sense i think the stage scenes are pretty spectacular but at the same time there's a kind of a sanding of the edges um as far as who elvis was but i don't i i mean it's deliberate in a way where i see what he's angling at as far as what he wants to get across and were the movie to delve deeper into other things, perhaps it would have been better. But at the same time, there's stuff here that I'm appreciating as far as how he wants to visually present it, let alone this Tom Parker relationship, which we'll also get to. But those are just some broad general thoughts I want to throw out there. So I, I cause I want to get to kind of a, a general conversation. Um, so like Peter, you're on this. I know you, you heavily favor this film. I'm I like this film more than I don't Todd you don't like this film at all so I, I'm curious Todd like where what when does this film start to fail for you like where, where is this pushing you downward um well I mean you know I, I made a joke to a friend of mine after I saw it I was like I feel and maybe I even wrote this into my review but I, I but I, I I think I said you know I was like I feel like when when you feel like you know less about the subject after you watch a movie about it okay. than you did before that's a bad sign um you know, I don't think that it, um, I mean, you know, for example, like I went and sort of like looked up and, uh, like some information after, because I, you know, it's like, I know his music, but I was, I am by no means a student of, uh, Elvis Presley's life or, or his career. And I was like, I don't know how I even got started singing that he like, they, which is not a thing that they should, I mean, they just mentioned that he gets signed by Sun Records, but like, you know, um, I think that like, there are many uh, per, uh, uh, aspects of his life that the movie does not cover adequately and just in terms of communicating. I think, I think there's also, um, uh, you know, I, I, another thing is that uh, I do feel like 
any music biopic after walk hard is kind of like <laughs> you know just irrelevant because that movie so skillfully just like deconstructed every one of the cliches in a music biopic um that like it feels kind of if not irresponsible then then kind of just stupid to to try to make a music biopic that's remotely quote-unquote straightforward which i think is maybe why um Boz Lerman decided to go from this perspective of uh Tom Parker as opposed to directly just telling the story of Elvis Presley but you know I, I was uh, I, I, I can't I can't tell you how much I agree with your sentiment in regards to the top the walk hard comparison in that structure uh, yeah I mean it, it, it does like I I can see where that's like diminishing to certain movies but at the same time it's like I mean, if you're making a movie after something like that, that's still trafficking the same ideas, it's hard to get excited about it when there are other music biopics that do venture in new territory. Something like Love and Mercy, I think, is pretty excellent because it has a unique way of handling that kind of genre. For sure. For sure. And and I think that, um, you know, I think for me, uh, like I like the musical numbers. Um, I think Austin Butler is fantastic. I mean, I really do. I think he's like really, really good. Mm-hmm. But I think there is a challenge. I mean, maybe there's an obligation to tell the story of Elvis Presley as one of the most influential pop culture figures of the 20th century um, and figure out a way to make him relevant or to at least relitigate or examine his legacy in an era in which people are more cognizant than ever of cultural appropriation of the fact that, and, and people are more aware, generally speaking of the fact that Elvis Presley very heavily, um, you know, borrowed, if not stole from black artists um, of that same era and was able to, um, uh, you know, become a phenomenon, you know, standing on the shoulders of these sort of musical giants Um and I think that the movie wants to do that, but I also think it doesn't do that successfully. Like it, to me, it's like the idea of, you know, do I think that, um, you know, Elvis Presley was on Beale Street in a juke joint watching, um, you know, Little Richard, Richard. and hanging out uh, with BB King? I kind of doubt it. Um, you know, I mean, like I maybe those things happen, but it's they seem kind of unlikely to me. But I also don't think that. Um, You know, whether or not those artists felt resentful of his success with their music, I don't think that this movie does that successfully in the narrative of the story. And then secondarily, by trying to, you know, do essentially what Baz Luhrmann did with both um, Moulin Rouge and with Great Gatsby, which is to try to link up the, the era in which the movie is set with contemporary artists by having these sort of covers and mashups and things like that. And it's implemented here so unevenly and so inconsistently that I don't think that's successful either. So it's, again, it's, it, it, it fails in many different ways for me. And I'm not saying that just to be like mean or, or, or to sort of dismiss any other criticism. I, I, I look forward to hearing from you guys what the things that resonate with you. But to me, it was sort of like, you know, I, I wrote my review and I was writing my synopsis and my editor came back and he's a little older than me. And he said, and I had put the idea that, that, um, uh, Elvis decides to go into, or he enlists in order to go into um, uh, the military in order to get away from being arrested, which is the implication that this movie suggests. And my editor goes, well, he didn't enlist. He got drafted. And I'm like, oh. 
and that to me was a short a, a shortcoming of the movie that it did not communicate that effectively not that i wasn't paying close enough attention because i think that the movie is so dizzying in its excesses that that it it sort of glosses over a lot of the more particular details of things that might actually be more interesting to explore dramatically okay so a lot there podcast over i will uh i mean peter i i do certainly want to hear all of your takes as well just to to respond to some of these things uh i will say for one thing i like the music i i can i can see perhaps where you're coming from at the same time it's like i i I don't know i felt i felt a good enough balance as far as what he's trying to do there in similar regard to his other movies um i will i will say i can agree as far as the thing that I was most interested in when it came to the announcement to let alone trailers for this movie was how it is going to handle the idea that Elvis very specifically took movie or took um, music from black performers, essentially, and, you know, dancing and what have you took a certain kind of style, uh, did it himself for white audiences. And that made white audiences more comfortable. And it's like, well, what is the response that like, how does he grapple with that kind of fame? And, there is a in the first half at least there is an there, for me there's an absence of more than just like the the style and the excess and like butler doing not negative but doing he's doing a great job but like but as far as like seeing who elvis is in that time i felt like the movie was coming up short and giving me more to chew on i do think that despite not doing that thing which i did want I do think the second half of the movie, which is by default the dramatic darker half, because that's how these things tend to work, at the very least, it starts showing me more of who this man was in a way, as far as like mm-hmm. where his thought process was. And largely, and that's largely told, you know, because you have this dynamic between him and and and, and Colonel Tom, the Colonel, where it's like, okay, like I may not have gotten this other thing, but as far as exploring the later part of his life, which I do think Lerman if anything, he might be more interested in. Like, I feel like the first half is the kind of stuff he's comfortable with where it's like, yeah, I'll just throw the cameras here and I'll do all this dizzying stuff and both these performances. That's a walk in the park for me. I think my challenge as a filmmaker, as far as Baz Luhrmann goes, is showing that introspective side of Elvis as he got older to the age that he got and started reflecting on like the social politics of the time and what it is that he wanted to say. Like that stuff that's when the movie became more than just uh, like a fluffy exercise and more of like, Oh, this is, there's like, there's some stuff here that I appreciate. So it's like, okay, I, you're not showing me some of this stuff from Elvis that I feel like matters, but at the same, for one thing, you're still bluntly showing how, how racist the people were <laughs> to the point of, we can't have this man move on TV because it reminds people of black people. It's like, well, I mean, you're not avoiding this entirely from a certain perspective. So I can appreciate that to a degree. Uh, yeah. But but yeah i do think it is for for me i do think it because the movie has an interesting shift as far as where it goes that allowed me to kind of look past some of the areas that i would have liked to have covered but okay fine you're still giving me if you're going to show me elvis it's not like he's not showing me the life of elvis in this extreme way that makes a lot of sense for Lerman. so it's like yeah okay i and there's, you know, there's certainly other stuff in the in the back half of the movie that could have been explored more, such as the relationship with Priscilla Presley or a number of other things. But uh, given the perspective it's taking, I still found like a lot to appreciate, which is why I overall liked it. But Peter, I, I do want to hear from you. Like where, where you like this movie a lot. I, I, I'm curious, like where, where that comes from? Like what, what, what is there? He doesn't anymore. After he heard my argument, he's fully convinced. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I guess I just... I mean, strangely, like I, I was so, 
I, I, I'm, I, was, I was so floored by how well Baz Luhrmann was able to harness this, this kind of like charisma and energy from Austin Butler. Like every performance, every, every big scene in the movie where like Elvis is doing his thing, I was just really into it. I was like, man, like, which it sounds like you guys are both saying, yeah, Austin Butler is really good. And yeah, I think and we so can all I, agree that Butler is doing it. Like I, what I, and it's not just an impression. That's the best part of it, right? He's, there's, if anything, it's very, very specifically not an impression. Like, yeah, the voice is there and he's doing some of his own singing, but it could, you know, there's a version of this that's like many versions where it's just karate kicks and, you know, certain kinds of one-liners. I don't think he's doing that. And that's good. Good for him. Good for him. I guess, I guess for me, it's like when I saw the trailer for this, um, and I think I said this to, on, on, um, to Aaron when the trailer came out, I, I was skeptical because in the trailer, um, I think there's even, they even use the line where it's basically like uh, Tom Hanks is, you know, playing Parker, um, says something about like, oh, that's when, you know, Elvis the man or the boy became Elvis the star or God or whatever. And I remember seeing that in the trailer and being like, well, wait, I was like, so we're not really going to get to humanize Elvis. What we're really seeing is like just this, the, the megawatt star. The phenomenon. Is, yeah. The phenomenon that is up. And I was like, ah, is that interesting? I was like, I don't know if I'd really care for that. And strangely enough, I think that through Butler's performance. And I, and I also suppose like, you know, the, uh, yes, the direction. I do think that we never, we never lose sight of how, how much of a megaton bomb like Elvis was like in, in the fifties and stuff. Um, and, and it is larger than life uh, and everything. But I, I do think that Butler, there is something about it, particularly the back end. There is something there is something very humanizing and desperate about where Elvis goes. That there's a lot of movies because you know you had brought up you know the notion of rock biopics and everything, and there are so many rock biopics where basically the you know the character goes the character the the rock star goes through their bad phase. You know they become everyone you know he they're they're toxic to everybody and everything. And mm-hmm. like for some reason, and to be fair, I do think the film shies away. Like they never talk about him, with, but with the FBI and all that, like there's, there are some darker parts of Elvis that they don't hi- illuminate or whatever. But yeah. I yeah. was surprised at how well this, you, you feel like this young man is, you know, is, is really trapped in a way. And, and even though he is so big, I was, I really connected with that in Butler's performance. And I guess for me, that through line of like seeing this young man and seeing the effect he has almost like consciously or unconsciously, I just thought was so thoroughly captivating. Um, And to me that, that makes it just so impactful as an experience, you know, using all of Baz's, uh, you know, all his tricks, you know. This this doesn't make it an excuse for the movie, but Baz has talked about like there's this four hour cut of the film, and I'm sure like that's a cut that probably has some of the stuff that we're talking about. That doesn't make it inherently a better film, but what I'm getting to is the idea. It's like at the as it stands, you know, it's not like Baz Luhrmann was like, "Oops, I forgot the character development." It's like I do like there's conscious choices being making here, made made here. Yeah, uh, that doesn't again that doesn't excuse the movie for what it doesn't do right for some or well for some people. I, I understand that. But I, I, well, I do, but I do think that there's, I, I, I was, because it's there, and we even talked about 
Tom Hanks yet, but like because it's told from a from that perspective and giving you kind of like a window in from like his point of view, I that is where I started to like, okay, I, that's part of why I'm trying to accept the choices being made as far as what we are seeing of Elvis and why we're, for example, Todd, you brought like why we're not seeing the first day he picked up a guitar and started singing or whatever. Instead, we're already jumping to the fact that he has established himself as well as far as being like a competent singer. Like, yeah. that's I, I can get why we're getting a certain you know take on the man and i do like yes if it was a if i loved the movies probably because it'd be a better balance of all those things but as it stands i i can i can see where i can see where the shortcomings are but at the same time i get why we're seeing a certain certain sides of elvis yeah i mean what i was going to say was only that you know i think what the movie and i think this is like probably a virtue and a vice for the movie is that i think that Boslerman wants to use Elvis's life and especially his career to sort of chart the pop cultural progression or the cultural socio-political progression of America through the decades and during which he was active. And I think that's actually a pretty smart way to try to tell the story of Elvis Presley because he clearly was uh, like a, 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 you know, he was, he was a catalyst for a lot of change and for a lot of fear. And I think, you know, it's, you know, you talk about sort of like, not showing his hips i mean essentially the the i do like for example like the scene that they show of elvis performing in front of all these people at this like you know this traveling review and the women are involuntarily starting to shriek and react to basically seeing some expression of sexuality through his dancing and performing that they had probably never seen before Mm -hmm. and it was just like something they couldn't control and they probably didn't even necessarily understand as it was happening um i think that's a pretty great way to to sort of examine his life to examine his legacy and think things like that but what is to me sort of baffling or you know in a larger sense I think less successful is the idea that um, if you want to tell a story about how to some extent Elvis was a byproduct and a victim of, uh, of, of the people around him who were either like in the case of his father feckless or in the case of Tom Parker, um, you know, who was calculating and manipulative, um, then I think you have to do a better job in telling a story in this film in which you are at least trying to honor his identity and his his singularity. Because to me, what ends up, you know, and I kind of ended my review with this, which is that I'm like, the one thing that is the through line of this movie is that he kept being used by the people around him. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, Boz Lerman has revisited that same trauma upon Elvis in using his legacy and his iconography in order to tell the story that Boz Lerman wanted to tell as opposed to telling a story that was maybe for the very first time whether it's the people who know Elvis or don't know him at all telling um his life story and his accomplishments in a way that truly honors and brings them in the in the foreground and the fact that um to to make the most amazing transition you guys cannot wait to hear I think that because we haven't talked about him is that Colonel Tom Parker in making that the focus of the movie is just utterly baffling and further sort of debilitates the idea of centralizing Elvis in the story of his own life. But don't, don't you think Lerman knows that though? Like I, as far as 
because he's positioning this man who had this kind of power still place. Isn't don't you think there's kind of a subversion or a level of irony that he's aware of? I mean, maybe, but I don't know what the point of that is. I mean, the thing is like, well, here, let, know, me, let me go that... back up. Do you like Tom Hanks in this performance? Oh, no. no. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, I. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> I, I'm not going to say that this is Tom Hanks at his best, but I, I, but I will say, like, there is a getting used to it factor, I think, that I, I don't think anyone would not deny as far as, like, a, how, how, how long does it take before you start accepting this? If you don't like it at all, you don't like it at all. I get that. I will say that over time, while I, I can't say that I ever like forgot I was watching Tom Hanks, it certainly became less of an abrasive thing to see as far as this, you know. Well, this, I, I mean, this I look, think, these I accents, think... what have you, like, but, but in accepting that, accepting like, okay, this is just what we're doing. I do think that there's a clever, like, a, I do think there's a cleverness there as far as we're trying to tell a story of Elvis, uh, a man who had all kinds of success, but had all kinds of issues, but had this kind of, lack of freedom so to speak but you're still telling it through the guy that essentially enslaved him uh like i think there's layers there that like again if he's not getting it through if he's not effectively doing it for certain viewers fine but i don't think it's beyond vaz to understand what that choice is supposed to mean sure no no i mean like you know i mean i i think we can all agree that in movies that we like and movies that we don't like a filmmaker and i think this is probably true we were talking about the black phone uh-huh. i think that like filmmakers can make choices where you are aware that they know that what they're doing and they mm-hmm. know why they're doing it but that doesn't mean that that choice is a successful one sure. in serving either the story or the audience mm-hmm. and and i would say you know the problem for me is that i think that the characterization of tom parker i mean i don't think that the movie needed to relitigate his his legacy because he clearly was proven to be a fraud and a manipulator and, you know, and to, to do all these things. But the idea that the movie opens by essentially going, yeah, he's a manipulative fraud. And then it does not create any multidimensionality to that perform to that, to that identity that throughout the rest with. of the film. It is a, it is and, fairly one to like, it's once you get him, there's no arc with Tom Parker. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, he's yeah. just this guy. <laughs> but well, I but think- also, Sorry, Peter. I just just I okay, just want to add one more thing. I'll, I want to let you guys like go off. Um, is is that the the other thing to me is that I literally when I got done, I went and watched one. I just searched for a YouTube video of Tom Parker because I was curious about the accent that the that that he had in the movie, uh-huh. and I looked at a, a Ted Koppel interview with Tom Parker in the '80s, and obviously this was in the '80s, so it was a long time after a lot of the things that happened in this movie, and it was a different time, and he had gotten older, but his accent was nothing like the one that that Tom Hanks uses in the movie. And I think that whether or not you want to chalk that up to Baz Luhrmann aiming for his sort of theatricality and his excess, or it was just him like indulging Tom Hanks and pursuing whatever degree of authenticity he thought that he was bringing. I think that also doesn't serve the movie because you're watching this performance that feels like an Austin Powers villain, as opposed to like a real person in real life. And I think that like, even if that was his accent, I think they shouldn't have done. I mean, that's kind of what that's, that's the problem is like, you, you could tell me tomorrow, you could show me 50 videos where everything that he says in the movie, he said in a place. And so Tom Hanks just 
copied that and repeated it, but I don't think that's good for the movie. And I think that, uh, but I, but I want to, I, again, I want to hear what you guys had to say. I'm sorry. I, I, just, I don't mean to... just, just really quickly. Cause I want to hear Peter, but like, I, I, it's for a performance like that from Hank, it's the kind of thing where if I'm seeing Baz Luhrmann's Elvis featuring Baz Luhrmann's costumes, Baz Luhrmann's style, Baz Luhrmann's gold-plated accessories, the depiction of all those things, the over-the-top music performances, it's not like I look at Tom Hanks and be like, you go subtle. Like it's like I feel like it matches the energy of the movie. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And I and I agree, or at least I said there is a getting used to it period that I certainly had to work with as well. And it's not a finest hour for Hanks, but it's I I don't feel I don't think it feels inappropriate based on the kind of movie that I'm watching, if that makes sure. like, Peter, how where are you on this? You know, I I was I gotta say I was as much as I love the film, um I was pretty worried uh, in the first like 30 minutes or whatever, because I, I really, yeah, I really didn't like Hank's performance. I didn't, I didn't like, you know, I think he falls over and there's even like a globe, like a, like a citizen Kane thing where I was like, Oh really? I was like, we're doing this. Like uh, I, which is a lot, but I do think again, there's a purpose to it. Like there he imagines is, himself just, as he imagines himself a certain way. And I feel like that, that tells a lot about yeah, I just, who this person is. I just, yeah, I really did not, I didn't care for uh, Hanks's the choices he was making for this, for this um, character in the movie based on a real person. And it, and it did remind me of, even though I just said how much I loved it, it did remind me of Toby Maguire, who is an actor I really like his stuff in the opening of Gatsby at the, at the uh, sanitarium where I was like, Oh man, I was like, this is so like, it's just so like obvious uh, uh, and everything, yeah. but to you, to what you said, um, I do think both McGuire and Hanks, I mean, it either just grows on me or something, but like by the time you get to the second half of the movie and, you know, and, and Parker is seen even more as like a kind of schemer and, and fraud I guess it works better for me by that point. Like, uh, it, it, yeah, it is by no means like Hanks's uh, finest moment or anything, but I don't know why it didn't bug me as much in the second half of the movie. Um, well, I think, I think it's because Butler rises to that challenge at that point, right? I think there's more for him to, it's not just oh, yeah. kind I mean, of there's, going there's along. There's a whole scene where, I mean, one of the best scenes in the movie to me is like, um, we didn't even talk about this, but there's a lot of like, kind of like uh, sequences, you know, there's one where they're making an NBC, Chris, supposedly going to make an NBC Christmas special. Mm -hmm. And you see how much Elvis kind of is trying to do everything he can to do what he wants, as opposed to what the sponsors want. I thought that was really great. But, but near the end, we of course know that Elvis uh, is, I think, sort of the first big pop star that it's the notion of like, he has this like unlimited stay at, at a, at a hotel in Vegas. And like, mm -hmm. so he's just going to perform a residency. Yeah. A residency. Yes. Sorry. And there is a scene where he lashes out at um, Colonel Parker, where that to me is very much the thing where like, did that happen in real life in front of all those people? Probably not like, but it worked. It, I thought it worked really well. Um, sure. And he, and you're right in that scene, it's really more, butler that is doing the heavy lifting than parker but i guess it's or than hanks but i guess it works from what we've seen about 
Hanks Hanks is about Parker's character. The one thing I will say that I and, feel and like because he, you've got like you know a movie where Hanks is chewing up so much of it, so that by the time you get to these moments where Butler, you know, for one thing, the as the audience, you're rooting for Elvis, right? Like, so of course, like, so, yeah. you, so you <laughs> yeah. want it like you know, it may not be a consistent string of punches, but when he gets the one haymaker in, you're like, yeah, good for you. Like you you, you did it. He was able to like yeah, get, exactly. get something I, in on the to counter this man that you want to see happen. I guess I guess what's interesting to me is that you you were both kind of talking about how much is, you know, how much is someone like Baz aware of, you know, doing a movie, you know, in the 50s, 60s and 70s and commenting on the world we're in now. And I, in general, normally think, especially with his Gatsby uh, film, I, I, I think he is pretty aware uh, of that stuff. But what's interesting to me is that. I do think it's a missed opportunity because with 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 the Parker character because in a way, the Parker character could have been made not maybe maybe the word relevant, but we have seen this past year we've seen a lot of uh, I think they're basically television series that are basically about all these tech people that. Are basically in the shadow of someone like a uh, Steve Jobs or a Bill Gates, mm-hmm. right? They're, and they're basically just con men. You know, you have the Elizabeth Holmes, the dropout. You have, um, is it Adam Newman and We Crashed? Yeah. These people who like you really weren't. You were just con. You really weren't doing anything except trying to get fill fill your pocketbooks, you know, or whatever. Which is kind of what Parker uh, is doing, especially in the second half. But at least those shows were able to at least allow. Uh, Lido and Seyfried and I guess also Levitt with the Uber one allow them to sort of have like a charisma so that you, so that when you're watching you're like oh I sort of see why people were seduced yeah. by these people with with I think that's that's a decision that Baz makes that I think is to the film's detriment is it's like we're even though it's his perspective we're like never in Parker's corner we are never yeah. like oh I get it like I guess that's a choice that I don't. Yeah, you, he's he's pure mustache twirling. Like there's no, yeah, totally. Yeah, there's yeah. no side of yeah. it. Where it's like, oh, I get the intoxic the the, the intoxicating aroma of, of Colonel Tom Parker as he guides Elvis, being like, yeah, I'm just a simple Dutch man who loves your music. <laughs> like, why wouldn't you partner with me for your entire life? Like, yeah. So that's it. Yeah, and again, it is weird. I really love. I really like the movie a lot. And uh, sometimes I get, sometimes in my head, I get very stuck on grades and stuff, which ultimately doesn't really matter. It's like, yeah, do I enjoy it? Do I not enjoy it? And I, 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 yeah, I cannot deny, I definitely have a lot of issues with either Hanks's choices or just the way the character is written of Colonel Parker. But despite that, I just really liked so much more about the movie, I guess, um, than, than uh, even Aaron, who you, you did, who did like the movie. Todd, given that you, you know, you're not a fan, like from a, what do you think from like a technical level of this movie? Obviously, Baz has a very excessive kind of style, but even with that, like as far as like costuming and production, like did you appreciate the making Elvis look like Elvis? Well, I mean, I would say yes, although I, I you know, uh, Jordan Hoffman, I think it was even this morning, he said this movie is uh, fat Elvis erasure. And I do think that that's true, um, you know, because I like. Yeah, that's true. The movie, and I mean, again, this is not like, not that I want to, you know, I, I think that ultimately we do, I think, have to accept that, uh, you know, a filmmaker is going to decide where how they want that narrative, the, the, the narrative of their story to 
what shape they want it to be. And the idea that, you know, for example, I, I, you know, it's like the end of Bohemian Rhapsody. It's like that movie spends like what, 30 minutes on like live aid, you know, this movie spends so much time on that comeback special. Mm -hmm. And then also spends time on, you know, his Vegas stuff. Um, When there, in my opinion, there are lots of things that would be, could be more interesting, but I do think that the movie does a good job of, uh, of, of the costuming. I didn't, I don't honestly, you know, I was talking with one of my colleagues about the, the, the sort of the rules that they have in their head for what they think an artist should do if they're going to play another character, you know, like a, a famous musician. And I was like, listen, he could lip sync the entire movie. I don't care. Like it doesn't affect me. It's not like, you know, I mean, and I, I believed it. Um, and I think that Austin Butler was great, but I also think that um, the recreation, I think it's, I mean, it's, I think it's absolutely fantastic. Like the, the him going out there, getting like this insane multi-piece orchestra. And I think that the way that Boslerman recreated that stuff, I think that's actually pretty exciting to watch. I mean, not just, um, not just like visually, but like narratively. Sure. And I think that him leaning on those things was a plus to the movie. And I think that's why I didn't, probably give it a lower grade um uh although i don't you know maybe in contrast to peter i like i find grades to be fairly arbitrary um you know and so it's hard to for me to sometimes be like like, do i really think this is like a a d plus or do i think it's a c minus or do i think you know whatever it's a um but but i you know i mean i think the production is good i also i think for me in terms of the filmmaking um I would say that it does not invite the audience in, in my opinion, in a good way, um, because there is this opening, which not only starts so heavily with Tom Parker, but also is doing this sort of whipping around of Vegas and the camera just keeps like swinging and moving. And I'm like, I just need to get my footing so that I can understand. You know, like that throws me the deep end. You know, and I, and I, you know, maybe that's, and, and I understand not only that's Boslerman's style, but that probably was his intention was to throw you into the deep end and then have you kind of, and then teach you how to, you know, tread water or whatever. But I, but to me, I was like watching those scenes where it's like, you know, wildly the camera swinging around the, the, you know, the marquees and he just, and there's so many, like, I mean, you know, the, the thing to me is that like what you realize is that I feel like a lot of that technique becomes kind of like a, a bad crutch because like at the point at which he has his Vegas residency, they keep, there's literally like for like a 15 or 20 minute period of the film, they just, the only thing they know what to do in terms of transitioning between one sequence and the next is let's cut to that outside sign of Elvis's name being taken off or put back on we're taking off there's a lot of that uh, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, there is yeah you know, right. they, they do like keep reflecting this part it's like oh yeah okay now we have a, a visual reminder of what the what the status is with Elvis today um you and, know and i think that it flattens the dramatic arc of like of of some of those things because you're like well this is just another thing that's happening the exact same way it did before as opposed to oh shit they're putting his name on the outside of this vegas casino then they're taking, you know, the fact that they're taking it off is a big deal. Now it's like, well, it's a day has passed and they've taken it down. Like it's just this weird kind of like, I think some of the, some of the, 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 the ornament of, of, uh, of the filmmaking that the Boslerman 
brings to it. Um, again, I just think it kind of ill serves uh, the subject matter and the story, even a story that I would be interested in. Like, I think all of the points that you guys made um, are really good, um, both both good and, and bad when it comes to like sort of what works and, and, and what doesn't and what worked for you. But I like to me, I, I just was sort of like, um, I, I, I was eager because I saw some footage of it when I went to CinemaCon in April and I was actually kind of excited. Like I was like, oh, I was like, this could be really cool. Like I like because they, they showed basically the scene where he shows, you know, he's like, they told me I shouldn't wiggle my pinky. And then he performs and uh-huh. they combine like the, you know, eight millimeter film with the, the you know, slow-mo you know yeah. footage and and everything happening at once and i think that they i i was that was actually really exciting to me um and and i feel like the movie you know didn't kind of deliver what even what i was kind of half expecting from bosler okay so to to back real quick to back up as far as um you know the larger elvis goes Maybe Austin Butler's just too handsome to pull that off. <laughs> just like it's just like this. Sure. He's a young, he's a young guy. It's like maybe it's, you can't. We can't just make everybody to the Penguin and the Batman. We gotta gotta scale up. <laughs> um, but I don't know. Like the way they the the story it wants to tell, it just seems like I guess we gotta focus on certain. I don't know. I can't make excuses for something like that. But in regards to like what you're saying, as far as like where this thing goes, as far as it's um, kind of direction and like how it's how it wants to portray something in a kind of with like visual momentum or what have you these are like ticks for me where it's like yeah this to me is why it lowers the score of it but doesn't make it a bad movie necessarily because i think the the stuff going on in that back half there are like key moments that is really responded to is part of that coming from the fact that i just don't know much about elvis beyond like knowing the songs and like this movie gave me new appreciation for like suspicious minds sure like why not like if it's rousing me in a certain way that that gives me enough to like make up for the stuff that seems a bit more obvious or a bit more, I don't know, less ambitious. At the same time, as far as that direction goes, in a general sense, I just I didn't feel like I was I didn't I didn't mind being thrown into this thing because it's just refreshing to see a filmmaker doing their thing. Like it, it's similar to I because I if I'm not mistaken, Todd, I believe you weren't a huge fan of Doctor Strange either, right? The Sam Raimi one. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. But it, but it, and we don't need to rehash that. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, there's like less. There's not perfection here, and that's not something I ever expect, honestly. But it's like, it it is nice to just see directors get to like milk the stuff that they like to do in major studio movies at a time when I just don't get to see that all that often. Sure. So if I'm sure. gonna get to see like Baz Luhrmann come back pretty much every five years, if not more, to make a movie, it's nice to be like well, he hasn't lost a step in what he likes to do here. Like, it's just like, okay, good. This is a mi- especially when you look at other music biopics that even if they're operating on the same parameters of, you know, rise, uh, excess, fall, death, it's like, okay, but like, what else you got? That's literally like, there's something there that he's showing me that as far as, okay, so he does got some stuff. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not, it's not all the stuff that I might've wanted, but there's certainly, a, there's more stuff here than compared to, like the Billie Holiday movie or the Aretha Franklin movie, which have the same positives. Great performance. Of course it is. Why would you cast them if it wasn't going to be a great performance? Great production design. Of course it is. It has budget. It's going to have great production. It's like, what else you got? And I do think Baz Luhrmann's able to capitalize on a lot of the things that he's good at as a film, or at least he likes to do as a filmmaker and still, you know, have some of that resonate with certainly with a lot of Elvis fans and a lot of Elvis fans are big on this movie, but like it, but even for someone like me, that's, 
you know, pretty out to sea when it comes to things beyond the basics I can glean from Wikipedia or various pop culture references. Mm-hmm. There, there's some stuff here that I, that I, or there's more than enough stuff here as far as like what I took away to make up for things. Well, I appreciate that you said that, but I'm just going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I like the idea that someone, like, someone, no, someone, no, I mean, someone, someone walks away from this no, podcast no, I, being like, that Todd guy's a real dick. <laughs> <laughs> or he's right. He should just say no and walk away. <laughs> Peter, Peter, where are you with this? With, as far as Lerman, you know, doing his thing for this movie. That's, you know, that's what I really, I really, again, that's why I go back on not knowing why I don't love uh, Moulin Rouge, but I mean, it's funny, I had not heard the term, what did you guys say, vulgar auteur? Uh-huh. Yeah. I hadn't heard that term, and and you brought up uh, Paul W.S. Anderson, and I think, you know, I, mean, I guess you could probably maybe think of someone like Zack Snyder, I don't know, but like, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's he's funny, one. it's funny because like, I recently rewatched the bulk of the Paul W.S. Anderson uh, Resident Evil movies during the pandemic. And I say during the pandemic, like you wouldn't do it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, no, I feel like there was a reason that I was like, I burned through like three of them in a night. And I was like, wow, I'm really going through these. Like, uh, but I will say like, you know, I do think that a filmmaker with a particular set of skills and style and like things that they're interested in sometimes that does win me over more than just have they put their skills to good use when it comes to narrative invention and you know fi- you know a story economy and everything mm-hmm. like that flourishes sometimes can mean more to me um than just you know i mean in a weird way it sort of goes back to the black black phone uh sinister thing i think black phone is a better made movie than i think sinister is but i guess those horror flourishes in sinister that are in my mind sort of mean more to me um so when you're talking about someone like baz lerman i'm when it when it hits like it did for this i excuse a lot of these other things that i think kind of really annoys uh todd and i think i do that for a lot of filmmakers i like and and like the resident evil ones like, again, I don't, you're right. It's where grades become arbitrary because I'm like, I don't know what I would like give as grades, but I can't say that I'm not, when Anderson is doing his thing, like I'm really into it. I'm like, ah, oh, this really works for me. You know, well, like, that's, but, but, but the problem stuff. there is that hey, we don't need to talk too much about Resident Evil during our Elvis review, but, it's well, like, no. <laughs> but, but Anderson's thing is, I, I, there is no thing. That's the problem. It's just like, oh, he's just mimicking other directors who are better than him when it comes to action mm. sequences like that's not a thing like that's that's just but him i mean competently but to, staging to, movies i guess sure but but i mean like you know the thing is that that the reason that i have even object to the uh, the premise of a vulgar auteur is sure. because because we're talking about people who we think were again they were bringing a unique perspective to familiar genre tropes and the truth is that Don Siegel was doing it in the 70s. We have, you know, you have John Ford who was doing it with Westerns. You have, you know, these people who were who were doing this throughout the history of, of, uh, of cinema. And that's why we call them auteurs in the first place is because that whatever they're working on, you know, their, their, um, their preoccupations or their style or whatever it is. If it's John Woo, if it's Michael Mann, Hitchcock. if it's 
Paul, you know, whoever. Yeah. I mean, like it, it is a situation where um, the, the filmmakers applying their imprint to these familiar structures. And, and to your point, um, Aaron talking about like having Sam Raimi be able to bring his elements to Dr. Strange, I think is, is exciting. Um, you know, I mean, I just, I, I didn't even mention this. I, I just saw Thor, uh, the new Thor. And I mean, like it is a consummate Taika Waititi movie. It's good too, but, but without even getting into it, like you watch the movie and you're like, the good thing about a Taika Waititi movie is that he still delivers a, just a good movie while also injecting all of his personality and all of the creative and emotional impulses of his, of his ideas into what is also a conventionally entertaining thing. And so, you know, to your, to your point, Peter, I think that, you know, it's like, if you, um, you know, it's like when you watch heat, you're like, well, I mean, how many filmmakers have made movies about the, dynamic between the cop and the criminal and the professionalism that they extend and this sort of, you know, like um, warrior um, ethos and all these other things that we've seen in hundreds of other movies. Sometimes they're done well, sometimes they're not done well, but when you watch them or when you watch um, Martin Scorsese do that in a crime movie, you're like, holy shit, man. Like that's, that's, that's the shit right there. Like it's, it is literally the, the the Leonardo DiCaprio snapping his finger pointing at the TV like it is that thing that we love to see when the filmmakers that we like um, are are utilizing their own obsessions to tell a story that we know the dimensions of and so I think it, it becomes this thing where it is extremely personal and so therefore if you like um, Boz Lerman and all of his, you know, sort of art deco excess, then, you know, and I say that thematically, not just visually, I think that, you know, you are more than willing and understandably so to sort of give a pass to some of the other elements that are less successful or that might have been more successful had they not been, um, uh, had they been implemented by a different filmmaker. And so, yeah, I do think for Peter and I, it does come down to a matter of whether or not the clashing of ideas ultimately works and benefits the film which i do think we're citing saying yes we're obviously for a variety of reasons that you've pointed out that that's that's not where you're leaning on um as far as what gives us what makes this movie pass the smell test um probably certainly not hanks either he probably smelled terrible watching this movie um but <laughs> uh very uh, you know we've talked about hanks and butler this is a very australian movie like the cast is pretty much entirely of Australian actors, uh, which makes sense. I know this was famously filmed during the pandemic. This is the movie that Tom Hanks got sick on during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anyone else that stood out in this movie? My, like my, my leaning is no, because it's very much focused on Elvis and Tom Parker, but did any actors stick out to you in this film? Um, I mean, I liked, um, is it Olivia Dijon? Is that yes. her name? Yeah. Oh, it's Priscilla. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I would say that, like, as the film progressed, I liked her better. Um, I mean, I like, agree. you know, I think actually the movie, I mean, this was kind of one of the other things is like, they had this scene where they introduce Priscilla in the movie. And what she's doing is she's telling a story that is not an interesting story. Like, I mean, like, the, the premise is that she's trying to tell her parents about this guy that she likes. And she's going to, you know, keep seeing him regardless. But like the way that the scene was written, I'm like, this is not a particularly flattering or interesting way to depict her, especially given that Elvis's reaction when he gets done hearing the story 
you're like no one I've ever met before. Like she doesn't, there's nothing about her that's remotely unique. So I was kind of like, okay, well, I guess he likes her. Um, but I do think that she's good. Um, you know, I mean, I think, I, I think the problem is that, you know, if you're going to introduce, I thought that the, the young actor who I think was a model who played uh, little Richard was actually pretty good, pretty yeah. great in the performance that they yeah. gave. But again, I think that like all that stuff is sidelined so much um, between the two roles that are that that Austin Butler and Tom Hanks play that nobody really got that much depth to even explore, much less to, you know, sort of distinguish themselves. Which I agree with. I think that was my main thesis with this thing as far as okay so we're just this is just the hanks butler show like that's the movie like there's there because it's like i'm aware of the various people in elvis's life like uh his his whole posse that they keep trying to highlight yeah. they put the names on the screen and everything like uh, what jerry Schilling is a huge one right he's played by uh luke bracy star of the superior point break movie and um, <laughs> and, um podcast over uh. <laughs> and you have someone like kelvin harrison jr who's a great young actor it has bb king and it's like Okay, he's just kind of like a sounding board. It's like, hell, Elvis, you know what? I'm black and you're white, and you would be. I get arrested, you don't. Like, it's like that's his. You know, it's yeah. it's almost not another teen movie level of black character. It just happens to be BB King. <laughs> like that's this whole thing, and it's like it'd be nice to see more of these people. And I do think I agree with you, Priscilla uh, uh, Dijon. I think she gets an ending scene that really works as far as the final um, interaction that they have in this movie um, that I appreciated. So that's like the only person I think in this movie outside of Butler and Hanks that leave something of an impression uh yeah. it, it eventually just became you know spot that australian as far as the actors in this movie because you have like richard roxburgh comes in here as uh, as his father you have who uh what's his name uh david wenham as the the former like prize pony yeah. for, for colonel tom uh uh luke brazy the, the cray montgomery like it's just all these like younger australian people that i'm like recognize like oh yeah and i'm like at, at one point i'm like so when's anthony lapalia get to show up and sure enough like he pops yeah. in here so it's just like a lot of that um uh i know we got we should wrap up so we can get to the rest of the show but any other thoughts on elvis um the movie peter um i guess the only other thing i want to say that isn't a that we sort of briefly talked about that Todd got into in the beginning was um, for me, I actually uh, also didn't really know much about Elvis beyond, beyond, of course, you know, loving the songs. And when I would see clips of him, I thought he was a great dancer. I was like, wow, really, he has a lot of presence and stuff. And I had always heard, you know, about, you know, the decline of Elvis and everything, but I was really surprised um, even though I think the Hanks character is a detriment to me for the first act of the film. I actually really liked, um, again, I have no idea how real any of this like is or whatever, but I liked how they used Elvis as, as, as a, where, you know, his, his upbringing and what leads him to like gospel music. And I like, I liked how, you know, yes, it is because he's a white performer, but I, I liked that how that you really see this like clash, you know, with segregation that's going on. I was surprised how much that worked for me. Again, I am not saying I like that it was bluntly stated. I like I don't yeah, I guess like, I'm I like not saying what, they didn't try to like subtle. It. Yeah. I don't I, I like I appreciate that and try to like say like, well, you got to see where they're coming from. It's like, fuck them. Like what is it's it's giving you exactly what you need to know about the perspective that other outsiders are having on 
what Elvis is bringing and why they feel it's a danger to them. It's like, because they're assholes. That's, that's the reason that's right. Exactly. <laughs> like, and, 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 and as Todd said earlier, like, I really thought that those, yeah, those early moments of Elvis on stage and just seeing the notion of like these teenagers that are maybe like exploring their hormones in ways that they didn't even, they weren't aware of, I thought was really good. And I did like that. There is even, I mean, it's, it's a quick moment, but I feel like maybe it was like when he's on television, they even mm-hmm. cut to a, they even cut to a young man who's obviously feeling something for yeah. Elvis. I really, I appreciated that. And those are little things. I'm not saying they make or break the whole movie, but um, I guess those are things in the first half of the movie that I appreciated. Although in general, it's really more the back half is when it really kind of takes off for me. Well, it started, so. yeah, I agree with it because it started meaning something to me, but I did appreciate yeah. like Elvis is, was one of the most charismatic, like the most charismatic person in like the world during his time when he was at his peak. Right? Yeah. So it's like, well, that's a challenge right there to be like, similar to like Chadwick Boseman doing James Brown is like, you already had a guy who literally was a movie star also. Like he was everything. So what do you do to like get a performance in a movie that could like match that energy? And yeah. whether or not it like does that, I do think there's a noble attempt here at the very least to suggest like, yes, here's a depiction of what it was like for Elvis to be the biggest thing in the world and people to react to that. And I think those stage performances certainly do a good job of, of, of showing that in action. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, honestly, like, you know, the idea, I mean, this is a question that I think we like our, my, our reporter asked of the cast and crew when, when he did interviews, which was sort of like, why is this story important to contemporary audiences? And I think that that's a, I think that's a completely legitimate question. I think it's mm-hmm. a relevant question. And I'm not sure that um, necessarily that the movie successfully answers that, um, which I which I say that not to go, not to fault it for, for just not doing what I wanted. I'm saying that like, I think the movie would have been more interesting had it made more effort to do so. I can agree. Because I, you know, and I like the, I mean, Peter, I knew what you were going to say when you mentioned the idea of like that, that young man watching him on TV, you know, thirstily. And I'm like, listen, I'm sure there were more people in the fifties who, who probably whose sexuality was awakened by watching him on TV. Um, you know, I think that, I think part of the, the problem is that, that, um, you know, again, when you have this very ADD style storytelling, that you can't just that that a, a scene like that could be more impactful if it was just well you know watching people sort of slowly um you know put their televisions on and be like who is this and they start and they just things and you know sort of the groundswell that transitions from the the review that he goes on where the women start unexpectedly starting to scream to people to that becoming this sort of like metastasized introduction to sexuality that pop culture had really aggressively resisted up until that point and so you know ultimately i think that you know and and then further to what to what you were saying when we were talking about the other performances it's like you know i mean you know people were like well maybe there should be a movie about um uh you know bb king or maybe there should be a movie about um uh you know little richard and the answer of course is yes there definitely should be those movies as well but I think that, like, if you're going to tell a story of this person who, for better or for worse, was the conduit for 
um, black musical forms to a mainstream America, I think that, you know, you kind of have a missed opportunity that they did not really take advantage of here. And that was kind of one of the things that was maybe more actively disappointing to me with the movie than, than even the other elements, because I'm like, you really have this kind of amazing galvanizing um, cultural figure that you could use to touch on all these things that Peter talked about, that, that we've talked about before. And I think that the movie doesn't really do that. Instead, it wants to include a bunch of scenes of, of Tom Hanks walking around a casino in a, in a hospital <laughs> gown, which to me is, I mean, I don't know, you guys might feel differently, but I don't think that's as dramatically interesting as, you know, uh, the history of black music and its impact in, on white America. You know, it's the kind of thing where, and we'll move on, but the, it's the kind of thing where, I, for one thing, I'm just used to <laughs> white people overshadowing the influence of black culture in America, um, whether in film or, you know, continued life. So it's like, okay. But also, I feel like I, I walked in knowing that this movie already wasn't going to do that to begin with, where I was prepared to. Mm-hmm just have to kind of roll with whatever other choice it was going to make and, and you know and again i merely like the movie so it's like i certainly acknowledge these shortcomings that would be more that could be more dramatically interesting but if i'm looking at it like purely as like what did baz want to do with this movie i mean i i see i can see why why it's merely this two and a half hour cut that's showing this story as opposed to a four hour cut supposedly that incorporates does does even more kitchen sink filmmaking than you're already getting here mm-hmm. uh, it's that's not that's not making an excuse it's just more of I'm, I'm taking what i'm getting and trying to evaluate that as i can i'm not saying you're not i, I just like i walked away feeling more positive than you Okay, when should people go and see Elvis? It's currently playing in theaters all over the place. Uh, Todd, what, when would you say people should see this movie? Honestly, I, w- I mean, I think that it, it needs to be seen on the big screen. Um, I mean, like, you know, I, like it, it, is, it is spectacle on top of spectacle. I think there's no way to, there's no better way to, to describe it. Um, and so for people to go and, and try to watch it um, while they can in theaters, I think I, I absolutely recommend that. Okay. Peter, how about you? Oh, sorry. I didn't know it was on mute. Uh, yeah, the same. I think that, um, especially if you're an Elvis fan, I mean, yeah, this the spectacle and the big screen viewing is, is you know, I think really important. Um, although I assume that, people who love you know Elvis in general will hopefully see it in theaters but the bulk of the viewing will be once once it's on streaming they'll just be watching it over and over again if they like it and stuff so but yeah I definitely I mean I loved it so um, and I even think that if you don't love Elvis I, I think it's a pretty a pretty exhilarating time at the theater you know despite my stuff with Hanks uh, and everything for a two and a half hour movie I think it moves mostly pretty well. Yeah, I I agree with you. I agree with you there, actually, for sure, as far as the pacing of this movie. This is a movie where, especially when it comes to biopics, because I know this arc, it's like, okay, so we're going to like do a fun first half and then slow second half. I liked the second half a lot, so I didn't mind that it somewhat relaxed itself, but still felt like the Zlerman was doing its thing. So in, in that regard, yeah, it's a big spectacle-filled film. That's the kind of thing I certainly encourage seeing in theaters, and I like the movie. So, I mean, yeah, I, I would say check it out in the theater. Um, okay, so good discussion on Elvis. I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. Let's um, 
let's move on. We got some time. Let's move we are, on. Some- we are pretty great. We are pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's uh, real quickly here. Let's try to get to some other um, other things, uh, including uh, what what time is it? It's uh, uh, it's it's time for some games here. That, of course, is the improv theme for games. And I have a couple of games for you guys this week. Uh, the first one is called Thank You. Thank you very much. Um, I am going to read you some famous thank you quotes from films. And you have to identify which film I am referring to. I'll provide some kind of additional hints as I go through these. But uh, if you feel you know the answer, buzz in with your name and then the answer. Uh, first one, this is from a, a 2000s film. The, 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 a couple quotes here. It goes, uh, I never said thank you responded with and you'll never have to um i think it's from um oh no i don't know i'll say is the 2000s we get the quote one more time i never said thank you and you'll never have to man i know that this is a 2000s action film here's a fun fact these are exchanged by two Academy Award-winning stars. What if I said it like this? I never said thank you, and you'll never have to. Oh, <laughs> oh, Peter. Yeah. Um, is it Batman Begins? It is Batman Begins. Okay, I was like, it's not Dark Knight, but yeah, you're on, you're on the board. <laughs> okay, here's the next one. This is from an '80s comedy. Thank you very little. Thank you very little. Yeah, we we heard you. We just don't know. <laughs> I don't know that one. I don't. This is a uh, uh, a major uh, comedy star of the of the eighties in a movie featuring multiple major comedy stars. Well, that really narrows it down. Um, <laughs> it is a sports film, a sports comedy, I should say. Oh, uh, it's Todd. It's Caddyshack. It is Chevy Chase. And, and it's Chevy Caddyshack. Chase. Yeah, right? yeah. All right. Here's the next one. You might have to race to this one. It's an expression of gratitude to some degree. That'll do, pig. That'll do. I know that. Um, oh, yeah. That would be that would be babe. It is babe. Yeah, that's what I just said. <laughs> Two more. It's <laughs> the next one. Okay, this is from a 90s comedy. Thank you, Miss Vito. No more questions. Thank you very, very much. Peter. Peter? Was, did you wait? Is do you say thank you, Vito? Is that what you said? I said thank you, Miss Vito. No more questions. Thank you very, very much. The the freshman? Incorrect. Darn it. Sorry, from what era is this movie? This is a 90s comedy. This is a 90s. That's why I was like, Vito. I was like, is it like I keep emphasizing? That was a good guess. I you're you're I will say the the person being thanked won an Academy Award for this performance. Thank you, Miss Vito. No more questions. Oh, Peter. Peter? Wait, is my cousin Vinny the 90s? Yes. And that's the answer. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I feel like I thought that was the 80s. Uh, Yeah, my cousin Vinny. Goodfellas is 90s, you know, so he's got, he gets his after good. Oh, right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, All right. It's tie score. This is the last one. So here we go. My mother thanks you. My father thanks you. My sister thanks you, and I thank you. Oh, God. I know this, and I don't know it. Um, what year? Sorry, what's year? Decade. Yeah. Uh, what is the year? Um, it's early. Let me think here. 1910s. 40s. It's the 40s. 
Um, there is a famous kid song this movie is associated with. Mm. So, um, part of that song features uh, someone sticking a feather in his cap and calling it macaroni. <laughs> Oh, maybe I haven't seen this. I don't know what that is. That's just the, the kid's song that I'm referring to, not the movie that I'm referring to. It's You're really a, taking us down some paths. I don't know what it, it, it's <laughs> a It's a James Cagney movie. Oh. Uh, what, Boys Town or something? Yeah, I mean, like, that James uh, Cagney is it, uh, I, I, uh, is it Public Enemy? It's not Public Enemy. Okay, I'll just say it so we don't waste more time. It's Yankee Doodle Dandy. Oh, I never saw it. Okay. Well, the thing was that you said that it was from the song and not the movie, and so I didn't say that because okay. you said you said the whole thing about the feather and the macaroni, and I was like, "Well, Yankee Doodle Dandy" in my head. And yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, which sorry. I also haven't seen, so. Um, well, I'm sorry know. for the confusion, but yes, it is a, it is Yankee Doodle Dandy. Fortunately, yeah, you, might, you, you might you might have you may have tied, but there is one more game that I have, and this one might be it might be easier. <laughs> <laughs> That was thank you. Thank you very much. This game is called The King Has Left the Building. I'm going to read you taglines for movies that have King in the title, and you have to tell me the movie. Okay. So here we go. Same rules. Uh, uh, buzz in with your name. First one In a war without heroes, they are kings. This is a 90s movie, late 90s. Uh, is it King of the Hill? Incorrect. In a war without heroes, they are kings. Hmm. This features one Academy Award winning star. There is a there there is a number of kings in this movie. Horror yeah, from the nineties. A war action comedy from the nineties, featuring a numerical amount of kings. Oh, uh, three kings. Three kings is the correct oh, answer. Oh, yes. <laughs> Tried to take you on this path. <laughs> You're like, it is a movie. It's got George Clooney. It's about kings. Yeah. It's about. Oh, I'm just not getting it. Okay, um, here, here we go. This one might be vague. I have two taglines, though. Here's the first one More than your eyes have ever seen, more than your heart has ever known. The second one is The fabulous Broadway stage success comes to screen. Keep in mind, the word king is in the title. Yeah, yeah. There is a famously bald actor as one of the leads. Okay, of this is movie. it uh, Anna and the King? You're very close. Peter for the Steel? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> if it's not, Anna, and the, if it's not Anna and the King. <laughs> okay, it's Todd, king just, and I. You're, just, yeah, you're just yelling it now. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep yelling until I get a point. Okay. You, well, you have two of them so far. Here we go. Here's the next one Warrior. Legend, King. This is a spin-off of a popular franchise. The second film in this franchise introduced this actor to movies. Oh, Peter. Peter? Scorpion King? The Scorpion King is the correct All right. Answer. Thankfully. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Here's the next one. It takes leadership to confront a nation's fear. It takes friendship to conquer your own. This is a best picture winner. Oh, I know. Yeah. It's a King's Speech. The King's Speech is oh, the yeah. answer. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the next one. There's two tag there's two taglines here. One of them is just funny, so I just want to read it. Joust do it. 
Oh, uh, well, wait, no. What, what? Huh? I know what it is. No. Right. Someone say their name. <laughs> say I, your I own name if you know it. <laughs> you don't know it? Oh, uh, no, no. Here's the next one. Here's the next tagline. Calvin Fuller is about to break his curfew by 1,500 years. Well, because Knight's Tale, but you said the word king is in the title. Yes, meaning that the word king is in the title. Well, that's why I'm like, <laughs> but you're in the, <laughs> the joust and everything. I'm like, what? But you're, you're in yeah, the right. You're in the right. I, I, went, I went through that whole process too, Peter. So you're in job. the right I century. <laughs> I'm going to just say it. it's a kid in King Arthur's court. Get um, out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, here's the next one. Uh, this has a few taglines also. <laughs> okay. Uh, here's, here's the first tagline. The most exciting original motion picture event of all time is also one of the great love stories of our time. This is the other tagline. This would kill me. This is one monkey you don't want to have on your back. Peter. Peter. I mean, King Kong. It is King Kong. To, just for fun, which King Kong do you think that tagline was for? For some reason, I think it's the the seventies. It's one? definitely the seventies one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here's the last one: a modern day tale about the search for love, sanity, Ethel Merman, and the Holy Grail. This is a nineties film featuring an actor who does who who did comedy and drama. He won an Oscar for drama. It's from a director who's part who's part of a legendary comedy troupe i'm trying to think i think it's the name that's good because when you said all that i was like is this like the monty python people like terry gilliam or something but you're, you're certainly on the right track there yeah but i was like i don't I'm like what's the title the ethel honestly it's the ethel merman thing i'm like what is that it's like uh Oh, Fisher King. The, the answer is the Fisher King. You are correct. Oh, sorry, Peter, the Fisher King. <laughs> you got sorry, it. Yeah. That said, that means both of you tie. So, I need to <laughs> <laughs> so here's the tiebreaker question. It's going straight to box office with Tom Hanks. Uh, what is Tom Hanks' highest grossing film uh, domestic? Peter. Peter? I mean, it's got to be Forrest Gump, right? Does it got it? Okay, so you're saying Forrest Gump. Todd, I'm what saying you, Forrest Gump. Okay, what is, Todd, what do you what do you think uh, Tom Hanks's highest grossing film is? Uh, I mean that sounds right to me. Uh, you don't think that there's any other movies that could be his highest grossing film? Yes, I do. Give me a damn second. Um, <laughs> Larry I'm Crown. Thinking, what? <laughs> it's it's not Larry Crown. <laughs> Uh, um, I would say Castaway. Yeah, I thought I of Castaway. I considered but, that. Well, you, like, what yeah. you didn't think was animation because it's Toy Story Four. Oh, <laughs> oh my God! I totally followed uh, by Toy Story that's... Three, and then Forrest Gump, and then Toy Story Two, and then Castaway, and then The Da Vinci Code, the best of all these movies. Um, all right, <laughs> <laughs> the best. Of all. Okay, so that, so that failed. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> you're still tied let's um let's go with baz lerman what is baz lerman's highest grossing film internationally hmm. it's i i mean gatsby did really well i'm gonna say great gatsby uh i would say milan rouge 
it is Great Gatsby, 353 worldwide. Australia is second with 215 because the Australians left it. It bombed domestically, but it did well season. Ulan Rouge is third, 179. So despite the valiant efforts of both of you, Peter, you have emerged victorious in this week's games. <laughs> so good job. Woo! That last second Fisher King poll really saved you there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so that was games. Let's move on. Let's get to some out now feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. And this is where we go over the various questions and answers to their Facebook page. Facebook.com slash out now podcast. We ask a number of questions to listeners and they get some answers. Uh, and then they ask us some questions as well. Uh, so here we go. Todd, uh, Peter, feel free to throw in any answers you might have as we go through these. First up, what is your favorite performance by an actor portraying a musician? Christopher writes Jamie Foxx's Ray. Steve, incorrect. Stephen writes Jeff Bridges. <laughs> Stephen writes Jeff Bridges in Crazy Heart. Also incorrect. Scott writes Forrest Whitaker as Charlie Bird Parker in Clint Eastwood's Bird. He is good in that. <laughs> Chris has Johnny Cash for Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, and Philip has Ryan Gosling in the La La Land. These are all wrong. These are well, wait a minute, wait, wait. Ryan got wait, what was the question? Who an actor portraying a musician? Most took it as oh, a biopic, okay, but just so you don't have to be a famous musician. Because I was like Ryan Gosling. Like, I didn't make uh, it too specific, but uh, most of the answers did. So I mean, mine by a, a wide margin. Although, although who knows, man? Austin Butler is really good. <laughs> we'll see with time. But um, man, I love the Doors. Like I love Val Kilmer's. Uh, I, yeah, I love his Jim Morrison. Okay, Todd, any odd fan uh, favorite performances by an actor? Um, I mean, truthfully, you know, I would say. Uh, I like Jonathan Reese Myers in Velvet Goldmine. Oh, um, he I is really good. Yes, yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's phenomenal in that. I mean, yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, you watch something. I mean, not to get into the weeds too much, but like you, we mentioned, um, you know, uh, the Get On Up, uh, the the James Brown film, which yeah. is not a, a particularly great movie or anything. I think he gives a good performance, but also like he gives a good performance that may or may not be exactly right for james brown too so it's an interesting juxtaposition but um but i would say that's one that's certainly one of my favorite music uh movies i, I mean joaquin is fantastic in walk the line truthfully uh but uh but i always uh, double gold mine i have a soft spot in my heart for uh forever I think. for sure so i'll just you know throw john c Riley's hat into the ring is a uh, you know from walk hard so. hell yeah uh, <laughs> who is your favorite villain from a biopic Stephen writes, off the top of my head, Robert Patrick did a fine job as Johnny Cash's dad in Walk the Line. Uh, Scott writes, F. Marie Abraham as Salieri in Amadeus. Oh, yeah. Tyler Smith, mm-hmm. friend of the show, writes Paul Giamatti in Straight Out of Compton. Uh, Chris <laughs> writes, Allison Janney in I, Tanya. Uh, Philip has Yukio Mishima from Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters. <laughs> <laughs> now that that's not great, but I'm like, I'm like, what kind of brownie points is that person looking for? Oh, I picked Mishima. Uh, yeah. you know, I mean, like, that's, I'm like, I'm like, that's not anybody. I mean, I think that's like, that's like, that's not anybody's first choice when they think about a biopic. But it um, was Phillips, apparently. <laughs> I, I, you know, um, you know, I like, um, what's his name who plays, um, uh, the dad in Walk Hard, Wrong Kid Died. I, that's like my yeah, favorite um, because it's just so funny and one dimension. It is. It, it's it is very funny. Uh, Barry Ray, Raymond J. Yeah. Barry. Yeah. 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 Uh, I like. Um, even though I go back and forth on his acting, uh, I <laughs> I really like Timberlake as Sean Parker in The Social Network. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, he, and, and he's got a pretty. Yeah. And his character has a pretty adequate 
fall like the way villains normally go his villainy the way he ends in kind of like uh, paranoia and being pathetic is pretty good like that's a pretty satisfying end to that character that's sure. what, that's what where i think fincher knows more than timberlake obviously but he knows yeah, more than yeah, that timberlake, could... but as far as how he can utilize him and i think he does that well with him in a way that timberlake doesn't yeah. seem to know how to do when he plays like lead characters in a lot of roles mm-hmm. i think fincher like really capitalized off of a certain kind of personality quirk that he has yeah. um well i don't think that's too much of a worry anymore i'm not sure anybody wants to see justin timberlake Leading man anymore? <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, if you've seen Runner Runner, I mean, you know that he has it in him to Ooh, play some cards baby. or something. Oh, That's a movie. Uh, I like that Tyler pointed out Paul Giamatti tried out of Compton because there was that year where he played that and um, the bad guy in Love and Mercy all like at this around the same sure. time. He's like, oh, Paul Giamatti just really hates musicians. <laughs> like, <that's... laughs> he really, he's great as Jerry Heller. I mean, yeah, they, they're, they're right is. though. That is such a good performance. Yeah. It's weird, though, because when I think of rock or music biopics, I will say you're right. Giamatti is good in in Straight Outta Compton. But I would say strangely, with the exception, obviously, of like the recent, you know, this new Elvis movie. I I always think that in in um, maybe in biopics in general, but especially in rock biopics, I usually think strangely the antagonist is usually also the protagonist. I mean, cl- oh, yeah, clearly, I mean, that's a yeah. I mean, yeah. Kilmer. My favorite, you know, his Morrison, he's, he's, he is also, he's also the problem in the movie. Like he, you know, so like, and usually that's kind of what I like is that it's usually is there, it is the creative genius that's also the worst person type of thing. Well, yeah, I'm certainly not trying to like, it doesn't frame it always as like, there's a definite in, in, the instigator that's the, 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 um, <laughs> the architect of all their pain, yeah. but there are, <laughs> but there can be like, you know, people that have ideals around what they want that's going to cost you know cause jeopardy to the you know the protagonist to some degree and there are you know people like the Giamatti's characters or Colonel Tom Parker what have you that crop up sometimes in these or they're you know they're at least part of the reason for the downfall to begin with like it's yeah it's you know it's a it's real life it's a biopic so it's not like it, it requires there to be one singular force but there certainly are you know there is a Salieri every now and then as well I keep wondering well, do I do that's I, what I, okay Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, do you think that's do you think that's sort of what Baz was thinking that he was thinking of Amadeus? Because I forgot that that I was like, oh, F. Murray Abraham, he's also telling the story and he's the villain in Amadeus. I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it didn't cross his mind, but I think there's a certainly a different dynamic there where it's not like Colonel Tom Barker. Why are we addressing his full name? Like, why it's not like <laughs> it's not like it's not like he was also like a you know a musician that failed or like had a similar Correct. arc. It's just more right. of like. Here's a here's a here's a monkey I can train to do my thing like that's it's, yeah. a, little, it's a different kind of story for, but there's certainly a dynamic there between the two of them. Yeah, I was going to say if you want to talk about really who I think the villain of the Doors movie is, I think it's Oliver Stone because I've never seen a person <laughs> who who told the story of a person they idolized where they vilified them even more than they were in real life. I mean, there are things that happened in that movie that never even happened in real life. Like he didn't. Oliver like, Stone made up stuff in a movie? You're kidding me, Todd. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. I mean, you know, The Doors is a fascinating, you know, movie that I was, like, obsessed with when I was, like, 15 or 16 because that was the moment that Jim Morrison's legend had, like, sort of reinflated and everything, and the movie aided that. And then, like, you would never think that watching that movie, in my opinion, that Oliver Stone actually idolized Jim Morrison because the way that he treats the character is so horrible 
that like I really do look at him as like the villain because like he didn't you know Jim Morrison did not lock what's her name in a closet that was on fire and things those things didn't happen and like why make them up when there certainly it seems like was plenty for him to do to uh uh you know to 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 go through the arc of uh, of a musical biopic but um, maybe uh, he so, so maybe the greatest villain is yeah. is Oliver Stone I mean, <laughs> I mean, maybe he and Val just messed around on set and they left it in the movie like yeah set Meg's sure. closet on fire <laughs> Jesus alright next question do you have a favorite Elvis song how about a favorite Elvis film Jeff writes Suspicious Minds Chris uh, writes Don't for song and Viva Las Vegas for film and Philip writes Suspicious Minds you guys have a favorite song or film from Elvis I really love Suspicious Minds and uh, is it in the ghetto? Is that the name of the title? Is that the title? That is one of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I always think that's a good pairing with the Stevie Wonder was it in the city. <laughs> is that, that what that one that one's called? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Um, well, that's living for the city. Living for the city. Yeah, I, I tend to like both of those songs of those eras and everything. I actually have. I've only seen maybe half an Elvis movie, so I haven't. I really haven't feel like i should watch all these but i mean i just haven't really seen them in movies yeah i hadn't either i've only just now seen king creole which is quite good i i really enjoy is it. he good in it he like wouldn't you know it peter he's pretty charismatic on screen oh. <laughs> <That Elvis. laughs> but no i do think and i i i believe he considers he considered that his best performance and i'm not surprised it's a michael curtis film like i mean it's a, he had he had help <laughs> to, to you know get a good stuff out of him but i know i quite like that movie uh, so you know i i'll be curious to explore some of them i mean obviously peter like clam bake all day for you i get it but i i'll, I'll watch right. that yes exactly um <laughs> as far as the as far as the songs go um the movie honestly the movie did give me a new appreciation for suspicious minds a song that i just don't really think about very often but i like heard i was like this is a really like i like what's going That's on right, this. so yeah todd you have any favorites here no, honestly, I well, I'll say I used to have um, I used to have a, a poster of of um, I don't know if it, it wasn't Viva Las Vegas, but it was another. It might have been Speedway or something like that um, that I used to have on on the wall of my parents' house because I like got one for free or something like that. And so I always liked that. And then I never watched it. Um, I don't think that I've actually ever seen one of his movies like all the way through um and i and his music in general i mean i probably like the generic um sort of greatest hits kind of stuff that he did i I, i'm not um his his work i am not as uh knowledgeable uh i think viva las vegas probably was the one that i had the poster for because uh but also he did one with um with nancy sinatra and that was one i think that's is that speedway well yes it is yeah. Todd, can I ask? Um, I always think that you're you're pretty big into uh, into music uh, and everything. I remember I remember you really got into Tyler the Creator like really early, uh, as I recall having a conversation with you. Um, mm. When you say that you know you obviously know the hits for Elvis and stuff, would you say that it's it's that era or Elvis that you, like? Do you like a lot of Johnny Cash or Roy Orbison? Or because I'm trying to think of that era. Like, is sure. that era is that something you've delved into? Uh, not, I mean, not really. Um, I mean, you know, I, I'm a big fan of 60s and 70s soul. Um, and, you know, and like probably even more 70s and 60s. Um, the 50s stuff, um, like, you know, sort of the, the roots of, of 
uh, rock and roll is stuff that I sort of know uh, from a distance, but not really something that I have explored that well or, or that thoroughly myself. And so it's more just sort of like, I like, um, you know, the stuff that like, I mean, the, the suspicious minds, it, the way that they do it in the movie, I think is really great. Um, I like the idea that he, uh, particularly, this is one of the things I did like about the movie is that like, they're sort of exploring at least his attempts to be more, um, uh, you know, to sort of explore some social issues through his music and things like that, um, which of course is different in the, from what we uh, think about, you know, people doing that now or whatever, because it was so, you, you couldn't do it as, as, uh, as in depth basically. Um, or, or with as much specificity um, just because of the songwriting of the day. Um, but I, you know, I was, like I said, I, I know his music mostly sort of superficially. So I wish that I were more knowledgeable, but I unfortunately am not. All right. Well, moving on. All right. What are some great rags to riches stories on films? Uh, Chris writes, well, Wall Street, Scott has Mr. Deeds goes to town, the Capra version. Wait, rags to riches stories in film. Oh yeah, Wolf of Wall Street. Okay, I get that. Um, Rags to riches. I mean, Wolf of Wall Street's a pretty. Uh, to me, it's a great one because it's, uh, it's such a such an indictment of of that idea. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I also would say, you know, a face in the crowd is a is a very good one. There you go. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, that movie is amazing, and you know, it's also a rags to riches to rags story, which I think um, is pretty uh, a pretty important element sure. of of some of these. Strange. I can't think of, I mean, well, I mean, I guess we could, <laughs> I, although I do think is one of the things I like about the movie because it is Baz Luhrmann and Spectral. I mean, arguably that's what, that's what the great Gatsby is. To some degree. I mean, I mean, like he's a, cause I mean, that's the whole thing is that Jay, Jay Gatsby sort of does come from nothing and he, be, and he becomes a different kind of American ideal. Yeah, it, up against, you know, so like, sure, you, I guess you fill in the backstory on Jay Gatsby. You do, you do. I mean, like, it's, he, I mean, his his backstory is consciously opaque. I mean, that's sort of the point of yeah. Jay Gatsby. But I think we can, it does feel like he doesn't, all the thing, all the airs that he is trying to put on is not really who he is. Yeah. I so that. I don't know. I can't think of other, it's funny. I tend to think of when I think of someone coming from nothing, I think of sports films, you know, like sure. Rocky. Yeah, know, yeah, that's but, fair. But I don't. But I guess I was thinking of riches. I was thinking of like business and stuff, which is why I think Wolf of Wall Street is a pretty good example. It is. It's a great example. Um, yeah. I can't think of another. All right. Well, if you think of one, just shout it out. Um, next one. <laughs> ne- next question. We, we got to keep moving. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> next question we have here. What famous rock star had the best costumes? Scott writes probably Elton John, if you consider him rock. Luke Thompson, friend of the show, writes Odorous Uringus of Guar. Uh, Peter, oh, Guar, yeah. yeah. Peter, you put Kiss. Well, uh, I mean, Kiss. It's really more. It's it's probably more the makeup than just the co- costume. The other thing too is that Kiss's costume, and I think Guar also, like that's their thing. It's almost like a superhero outfit. Sure. Whereas Elton yeah. John and Michael Jackson and Elvis, their or uh, Liberace, their flamboyant outfits are ever changing. Liberace, so flamboyant. Thing. What? Well, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> actually speaking of that's somebody who i don't really know much on is liberace did you um, see the Soderbergh movie oh i did i liked yeah, I it that, yeah i thought I that did. was good I, yeah it was good it was good um but i i definitely think that i mean is elvis 
I guess the question to me more is, is Elvis the first to sort of do that whole kind of thing? Oh, no, I get miss. Is Liberace before? I don't know if he's the same era. Like, Well, he was after. He's after. He's after. I mean, he's probably, um, he was probably, you know, dressing that way or something. But um. I mean, definitely, I mean, again, also like Cher is another person who is so iconic. For I guess her, we're rock stars. So I was trying to think of like, there are certainly like popular people. I mean, that, David Bowie, of course. Oh, I mean, Bowie, and that's yeah, later. Yeah. That's yeah, the, yeah. I finished these off. Chris writes Bowie. Uh, Laura writes Freddie Mercury, and Jeb writes Sly Stone. Um, so, you, you oh yeah, Sly Stone's actually. I don't really think Freddie Mercury's that extravagant in his, his outfits. Maybe I'm forgetting something. I mean, I feel like it's. I mean, I, I think it, you you sort of have to parse like the difference between like, well, I mean, was for example, Stevie Wonder cool as shit in the 70s with every single thing he wore. And uh-huh. some of those things were active costumes and other things were just 70s fashion. Right. You know, I mean, like, you know, and I think that like, but when you have somebody like be it Elton John, be it um, David Bowie or whatever it is, I think those are people who definitely took the the showmanship and the pageantry of, yeah. of being a performer to, in, in, to, to, you know, these sort of uh, transgressive, uh, levels and I mean I would I mean I, I think it would have to be Bowie for me just because of um, how much of a chameleon he always yeah. wanted to be yeah. so yeah yeah Mercury that's kind of that's like a there's a showmanship as far as his physicality right because oh it, sure because he's yeah, a, absolutely it's not just like a rock he's a guy that like there's so much range in his vocal what he's doing vocally and like pumping around the stage or whatnot it's like you can't wear too much clothes you'll get exhausted sweat everything out and die if you like layer on like all kinds of jackets and things on top of what he's doing already but uh, yeah but i mean also but i mean like we mentioned james brown earlier and that yeah. you know i mean oh, he, was james brown. As hell. he, yeah. he <laughs> and his his band i mean we're just yeah. absolutely like razor sharp well you know you black know? people work harder that's the difference <laughs> 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 he's the hardest working man to show business <laughs> there you go sure sure uh all right next question here what's your favorite baz Luhrmann film Adam Gentry, friend of the show, writes it's Moulin Rouge, but I really love Strictly Ballroom. All two. Keith writes all of them. Philip writes Romeo plus Juliet. Peter, you have Ray Gatsby, but in time it might be Elvis. Strangely, you've never wanted, you've never warmed to Rouge. Yes. Tyler, so, what, yeah, what, Todd, Todd I'm assuming yours is Moulin Rouge. Um, mine is Mishima, a life in four chapters. <laughs> <laughs> No, I would I, honestly. I probably. I mean, I might say uh, Romeo and Juliet, but but it would be a toss up between Romeo, Ju- Romeo and Juliet and, and Moulin Rouge. I mean, I always loved, um, absolutely loved the soundtrack to Moulin Rouge. I mean, you know that Bowie cover of Nature Boy um, by Nat King Cole is like just incredible. Um, you know, um, but I but I would say either either of those two. Maybe maybe Romeo and Juliet has the slight edge just because i sort of like the, the contemporaneous version of uh of of the of that play Sorry, I, yeah. and i think that the i think that the i think that you know all of his it, it was sort of one of those things like he was certainly in his ascendance uh when it came to his aesthetic and i think that like it's the right balance to be able to do um you know sort of the classic shakespeare and then also the frenetic visuals and then have this you know I mean, it's also got, you know, the cardigans and the soundtrack is just absolutely <laughs> bonkers of that one as well. So, I think I'm the same with you as far as like, I think those are two is his best. And I think Romeo and Julia maybe get the slight edge just because I've seen it more, honestly, is part of the reason. 
Um, and it's just like it's a real who's who of young casting in that movie. Like yeah, every, really like every part, yeah. every part that because since we all just know Romeo and Juliet based on like school, every part that we already know it's like occupied by some really famous. Like even like Paul Rudd shows up. Like I mean, he's like everybody's in this movie. And yeah. I and I'm a big Leguizamo fan. So Leguizamo is Tybalt. Is like yeah, great. I'm into that. <laughs> yeah. Harold, Harold Paradue uh, countering it is Mercutio. Like yeah, this is cool. All this stuff's great. Soundtrack's great. Is that when? Did was Romeo and Juliet and Carlito's way within a few years of each other? Well, Carlito's, so, Carlito's yeah. ninety three, Juliet's uh, ninety six. So I yeah, mean, yeah, Luiziamo really had a. He really, I mean, he's oh, great. Yeah, he was, yeah, he, he was yeah, also the pest during that time. So I like the pest. Like, <laughs> oh my god! I like. First okay, all, I'll, say, I'll say this specifically. I like the. You're not going to make it to five hundred podcasts if you say that again. I, that's. <laughs> I, like, I like the you know. opening of the pest quite a bit. I haven't now. Never seen it. I haven't seen the pest in probably twenty years. <laughs> I mean, it's probably changed as far as what to accept about that movie because I know he's doing a lot of characters uh let alone it stars uh, uh routinely seen as nice person jeffrey jones as the co-lead um but uh, yeah that's it's a, it's a movie <laughs> that exists <laughs> wow it's a it's peter it's a most dangerous game riff but what if john leguizamo was the lead being hunted by a man and to disguise himself he chose a variety of ethnicities that are never offensive uh, that's, oh, the, <laughs> man, that's, wow. that's the movie <laughs> wow wow um but again, I do like the opening. I remember the opening. This is just him singing in the shower. That's funny. Um, anyway, uh, last question. I refuse. I, I, I didn't know this. I wish I had known this 300 <laughs> podcasts ago. I would never have come on here if I had known this about the past. That was like one of the worst movies I had ever seen in my entire <laughs> life at the time. I was I was like, this is. Oh, I'm sure it's gar- I'm sure if I watched it now, it's garbage. I'm absolutely sure. Yeah. This was- <laughs> yes. Yes. Last question: Which music stars do you want to see get a proper biopic? Well, I guess I'm getting it because <laughs> I really want to see Madonna. I've been wanting to see Madonna get a briar, get a uh, a proper biopic for for ages. But I guess, but I, I guess I'm getting it with uh, Julia Garner, right? And with Madonna, yeah, well, with Madonna writing, producing, and directing it. So hopefully, all those we'll years. See of that, we'll is, see how that goes. The, hopefully, but, all those years of Guy Ritchie paid off. Yes. I hope we'll see. Um, um, but I, I really, yes, I would have actually, I would like to see a Michael, I would like to see an early era, not, not to say that you should ignore, you know, the back end of Michael what a Jackson. Jackson five movie. Right. But a, yeah, like a Jackson five to off the wall, like, yeah, that might be pretty good, man. Like I, w- I wouldn't mind seeing that too. Like, yeah. Todd, what were you going to say? Were you saying something about um, Well, I was going to say, I mean, you know, like we talked about the other people who are in this movie who I think would be really fascinating yeah. subjects in their own right. Um, I mean, you know, there are so many artists who um, I would like, who, who I would love to see, like Luther Vandross or Teddy Pendergrass. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Sam Cooke, I mean, the, the end of Sam Cooke's life has been made into, yeah. um, a, you know, a, a fairly, a very interesting um, documentary series for Netflix that I saw. Um, I think it was Netflix. Um, yeah, know, it was, yeah, it was Netflix because like it came out so little, it came out a little before One Night in Miami. Like, yeah, yeah, there's that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, people like that I would be really interested in. Um, I, you know, and I, I, I don't know yet if uh, Julia Garner is going to be the person who plays Madonna in Madonna's um, self-directed uh, biography, but I think that is such a recipe for a magnificent disaster as a person who is a absolutely massive Madonna fan that I would love 
to see that. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited about the idea of that. I don't think, to be fair, Julia Garner, as good as she is, has really anything in common with Madonna. Like, I mean, like, not like physically or like she's got curly hair, like from the 90s. But, <laughs> but, but that's it. I mean, like, you know, I don't think that she looks like Madonna. I don't think that um, she doesn't have the presence of madonna in my opinion but um but you know again that's that's also why they call it acting um and so, why you know, know I mean, you know they're they're cast for some some something worked in that audition right I yeah mean, that's how yeah, you know yeah. like i wouldn't say like you know the guy that played tex and once upon a time in hollywood was like oh he should be elvis like i i you know i don't yeah. know oscar butler or nothing but he's pretty terrific and he doesn't look like elvis at all honestly <laughs> like just look back his hair a bit um Sorry, sorry. Side thing. Cody Smith McPhee and Elvis for like a hot minute. I like his little <laughs> evolution as far as like I'm dressing more like him now, and I put my hair back. And uh, but, but it's Cody Smith McPhee, so he's like nine feet tall. And he looks really gangly and awkward, but he's like trying to do his Elvis thing. It's just funny to me. <laughs> um, okay, we got one question here, then we can end this. But Philip asks, "What's a film based on a true story that you had little interest in, but it turned out to be a great movie?" Made a film you had little interest in. Hmm. Yeah, some true story that you're like, why would I want to see this? But then it turned out it's like, this is a great movie. I will say right now, um, sight unseen without like anyone attached, saying we're making a Facebook movie. I don't know what that was going to be. But then it, sure. like, it, it hired on everybody else. Like, yeah, Fincher and Sorkin. It's like, what the fuck is this going to be? Okay, fine. And then, it, you know, it's the movie that it is, which is great. I mean, yeah, that's one of my favorite films. So I guess you're right. I guess I didn't necessarily know what to think of a, of a Facebook movie. That's a pretty good pick, Karen. Um, yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I mean, I think that's a that's a that's a great example. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Well, Todd, you famously like the emoji movie, right? That's one where you're like, I don't know what I'm going to get out of this, but then you saw it. Yeah, that's that's, that's my that's my favorite movie. <laughs> that and Mishima: A Life in. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but uh, but yeah, no, I. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have anything else to add. I, I, like, Fair enough. I, I, you know. All right. Well, we can leave it there. That's been out now. Feedback, 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 feedback. And thank you, the listeners, for giving us all that, all those answers and questions. Uh, and that is going to do it for this week's episode about Mouth, Aaron, and Abe. You can find more of my work, my personal blog, thecodazeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I write movie reviews for Wheel of Entertainment and Blu-ray and Criterion reviews for whysoblue.com. I also do some variety of stuff occasionally, and I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Uh, Peter Paris, where can people find more of you online? Oh, I write for uh, whysoblue.com and I am on socials as Pajamo with an O. Todd Gilchrist, where can people find more of you? Uh, well, at the AV Club, certainly. Um, I, uh, you know, have done, have some residual uh, freelance stuff that's shown up at Fangoria and Variety. Um, but you can follow me on Instagram at uh, Best Dressed Todd. And, um, and, you know, I, I don't tweet as much as I used to, but... Um, but at MT Gilchrist is my Twitter handle. And um, that's usually where I'm sharing uh, my, most of my stories and my writing. And making fun of Jermaine. These are the places to go. Correct. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, that, that goes without saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that is going to do it. Um, you can find more of the episodes on iTunes, Audible, Spotify, and Stitcher. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. All variations of OutNow Podcast or OutNow underscore podcast. Uh, email us down now, podcast, gmail.com. Uh, next week's show is the 500th episode, which Abe and I are excited about, and we will uh, reveal the plans as we kind of go through the week here, but um, it, it should be a lot of fun. And then after that, I believe, is Thor, which I, people have heard of. Um, so yeah, but yeah, 500 next week. It's exciting. 
But thank you very much, Todd and Peter, for joining me to discuss Elvis today. Thank you. No, thanks for having us. For sure. Glad to have you guys on. As always, look forward to having you back. Thank you, the listeners, for listening. And until next time, so long and goodbye. We're caught in a trap. I can't walk out because I love you too much, baby. Why can't you see? What's it doing to me? Suspicious mind, and we can't build our dreams on suspicious mind.